0: What's going on? This is the Started On South Podcast. I am Conor Guerra. Will, SEC Championship is here. I am fired up. How are you as an LSU guy taking this week in stride?
1: Um, it's been great, man. I was just on Emery the Lad's pod talking about some uh, Georgia. Um, there's also been a new World of Warcraft expansion. So this is a, a huge week for me. You know, I've got my my dragon evoker i've been playing on that's been super cool it's been kind of taking my head away from the potential beating that could be coming at the hands of georgia so i'm the lads are great we're all going to the game i get to see you which i'm excited about but you know as we talked about last podcast i'm a realist fundamentally and i think that the a&m game really put a little bit of a damper on that style of team being beaten by lsu (laughs) yes
0: we'll have a full breakdown of what exactly it could take for for lsu to be able to win this game what what exactly could be the keys for for be able to um, just continue this demolition that they've been on in 2022 somehow, some way. Coming off of the year that they have been on, but yes, we have a great, great show lined up. Going to break down the Hugh Freeze to Auburn move. We'll have, uh, like I said, full SEC championship preview with picks, over/unders, all that stuff. Uh, Jake Pester, of course, is going to join us in a little bit, and then we're going to close with bold and brash. We got lad of the week and just a mini announcement, like a mini. Tiny, tiny announcement that I think is kind of interesting that maybe people care about, maybe they won't, whatever the case, announcement coming as well. So before we dig into everything else, Will, so this morning, I'm like, all right, I've got Hawaiian rolls still ready, which is great. You know, you got your Hawaiian rolls for your for your leftovers, all that, of course. Of course. Big proponent. It's, it's the all-time leftover food, although mm-hmm. it can be a primary food as well. You can meal prep with Hawaiian rolls. They can do anything as far as I'm concerned, bread from the gods, but- mm-hmm. I decided this morning, I'm like, all right, I'm taking my eggs, my usual eggs. I'm going to have, you know, my, my avocado in there. I get my spinach in there. If we have fresh grown prep, fresh grown peppers, I get those in the mix as well. I'm going to have my eggs. I'm going to throw my Texas Pete in there. I'm going to put it all on this bed of Hawaiian rolls. And my God, uh, game changer uh it's gonna be hard for me not to do that from now on i need to probably just make that a staple of my diet but it's texas pete that always makes it of course you got that little kick you know you can do something like that and you're like oh you don't have any cheese to bind it together it's like no 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 no. texas pete brings everything together that's all you mm-hmm. need that's what i say all the time texas pete has, and the big lebowski
1: it ties the whole room together
0: it does it's it's the feng shui of of food as far as i'm concerned it has a sauce and flavor, as you know, that is kicking this football season up a notch. Texas Pete does. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk. Grab yourself a bottle today. Visit TexasPete.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday Down South. That is all caps, all one word, Saturday down south. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right. Um, so in case you haven't heard, Auburn has a football coach, and that football coach is Hugh fries very common uh, common practice, of course, the Auburn coaching search that just is never easy. It's never easy. And maybe because it's Auburn, it's never easy. Or maybe this time, because it's Hugh Freeze, it wasn't easy. It was never going to be easy from a PR standpoint to hire Hugh Freeze, no matter who that was. Even though I, I think that as he got further and further removed from the escort service, the 15 level one violations at Old Miss, I think there was a growing sentiment that it was just a matter of time that he was going to get another another opportunity because on the field, he instantly became the best coach in Liberty football history. And we've watched for these last few years. Okay, this guy is still at the top of the profession. He understands what he is doing within those white lines. There's no doubt about it. You really don't have to dig very deep to find the reasons why Auburn wanted freeze because obviously he put Ole Miss on the map in the 21st century. He beat Saban twice in case you haven't heard. And he literally took Auburn's third string quarterback and was like, oh, don't mind me. I'll just turn Malik Willis into a better college quarterback and a better quarterback prospect than anybody that Auburn has had since Cam Newton left. No big deal. Nice things to have on your resume. Makes a lot of sense. Why John Cohen said, yep, okay, Hugh Freeze, that guy checks all the boxes that we want. And I understand that there's the side-by-side of Hugh Freeze's Record in the SEC versus you know Gus Malzahn and and we we can do all these things and I've talked about this with Marler as well and one of the things I think is at least worth remembering is that Ole Miss wasn't in the exact same situation that Auburn was and I think historically speaking we wouldn't necessarily put Ole Miss in that same stratosphere that Auburn is in as a college football program so I tend to give Freeze the benefit of the doubt with that and if you look at his record and you're a little bit underwhelmed I tend to say there's a little bit more context needed that's just me. That's not that easy though with freeze. It's not, it's also not as simple as, oh, he had infidelity and, oh, he committed NCAA violations. We have forgiven plenty of adulterers in this country. I mean, JFK's legacy is safe. Like that's- Mm -hmm. That's not an issue. Okay. We've we've got a lot of very famous people who have been adulterers, who we as a society have decided, okay, you have you have you have done the time necessary, you have faced whatever sort of shame was going to come your way, and we can forgive you, we can move on from this. We understand that people are human. Forgiveness, however, is different than holding people accountable. Holding people accountable is different than canceling people. If you've seen some of the dialogue about Freeze, you've seen him say, I paid dearly for my mistakes. Or you've seen people say about Freeze's mistakes, everyone's got a past. Some people might disagree with this and that's fine. And I'm not telling you, the person at home who's listening to this, how you should feel about Freeze. Many of you have already made up your mind about him and you're only listening to this because you want to see if I agree or disagree with you, but you're not here to change your mind. And like I said, that's fine. To say that everyone's got a past ignores what hugh freeze did this year if you didn't see the chelsea andrews dm that resurfaced again over the weekend with the anti-freeze movement to try and oppose the hire from those inside that auburn program auburn students whatever the case may be um, here's the rundown of it andrews is a former liberty student she had a lawsuit against the university for its handling of sexual assault cases. Freeze just before midnight on this random night in July, sent her an unsolicited message after she spoke negatively about Liberty Athletic Director Ian McCaw, who was the athletic director at Baylor, who was forced to resign after 31 Baylor football players were accused of 52 rapes in a four-year stretch. Freeze's message to Andrews was, quote, you don't even know Ian McCaw. He is the most Jesus-like leader I have ever seen or been around, but you take every chance you can to take a shot at him. I don't understand that mentality, close quote. Mind you, that was after Freeze sent her an unsolicited DM a few months earlier that read... Quote, I would love for you to help me understand your attacks on me in our program. I'm open to talk about issues you have with me/slash/program, either face to face or by phone, but I've never believed in social media discussions when you don't truly know the other party. Hope you are well and have a great day. If Freeze doesn't recognize that DMing someone involved in a sexual assault lawsuit against the university is outside of his jurisdiction, he's got to learn that right now. Now, okay? I know a friend of Freeze and I remember talking to him a week after that came out and he basically said to Freeze like what what in the world are you thinking man like what what are you doing that's it's just so unnecessary it's unbelievably unnecessary that's not what he's paid to do and if he doesn't understand that it's only a matter of time before he steps out of line again and this entire hire blows up in Auburn's face okay Freeze apologized for reaching out to Andrews. He told ESPN, quote, I learned from this situation that I should totally understand other people's circumstances first before communicating or commenting on someone else's situation. It was an inadvertent misstep with no ill intent. And I am sorry. More of that. More of that. More. more of that. Hugh Freeze is, has a masterclass in apologizing. That's not me taking a dig at him. That is because that this has followed him. The escort stuff has followed him everywhere that he has been. And he is even, you can tell, kind of like, man, I still got to talk about this. And yeah, there's a certain part of you that's like, that kind of sucks that that guy has to still be talking about stuff like that. But making mistakes like this will be his undoing, not the escort service stuff. You do stuff like this. That's Mm -hmm. going to be all she wrote. That's what I think if you're not understanding why there's concern, why there was pushback, it's stuff like this. And in a person that is in a position of power that is trying to negotiate on behalf of his boss who pays a salary or negotiates his salary, rather a salary that includes tens of millions of dollars. If you don't understand that perspective, you have to. You absolutely have to and understand why it is not your place to get involved and why that would come across the way that it did to a 20-something co-ed who has a sexual assault lawsuit against the university, okay? You need to understand that. I cannot make that clear enough, and I sound preachy saying this, but it's 100% true, and you can say that whether you're a freeze apologist or whether you're a freeze hater, all right? Auburn knew all this. They heard all the opposition. They basically said, yep, we know whose approval rate, not going to be great. We're gonna hire a PR specialist. Apparently, it was reported by Sports Illustrated that he was foregoing all the social media accounts. But then, you know, Freeze said in the presser that's not true. So kind of make of that what you will. But Auburn said, we're gonna hope that Freeze wins a lot of games. And this is, you know, stuff like this, stuff like what he just did in the present, not just his past. We're gonna hope that all of that is in the rearview mirror. And maybe it will be, maybe it will be, maybe it won't. I don't know. I do know that Hugh Freeze is many things to many people. If it makes you uneasy as an Auburn fan that he has the keys of the program, that's fine. I don't blame you. If you think that all of this and me even bringing this up on a podcast, talking about a new head coach in the SEC, if you think that's all overblown stuff, and this is just as simple as, ah, everybody makes mistakes, I'd ask you if you'd feel that way if it wasn't your team or if it was Mm -hmm. your wife or your daughter getting a DM near midnight from a stranger, saying, hey, back off someone on the other side of a sexual assault handling deal, all right? A, a lawsuit, okay? Personally, <laughs> like Hugh Freeze, probably not a guy I want to have a beer with. That's fine. Like, who cares? That, that's not going to make or break his time at Auburn. I also think his teams are really fun to watch play football. Okay, Lord knows, as the leader of the Malik Willis bandwagon, I have watched my fair share of Hugh Freeze football games over the last few years. I'll tell you what, it's pretty fun. The guy knows his way around a quarterback. He knows how to develop them. And that's something that obviously Auburn saw as a major, major asset. Auburn could be a really good football team with Freeze running the program because there is no doubt whatsoever that he is going to have a better chance to succeed than Brian Harsin, which really isn't saying that much. But That is important for this. Freeze is also going to be climbing a very uphill battle. Okay. And John Cohen basically said, I am going to stake my job on whether this works out. It is a massive swing for the fences. Okay. It might seem like the safe hire, the obvious hire because of Freeze's offensive acumen. And there's something to be said for that. There absolutely is. But this is still a swing for the fences hire. And it's not just as simple as everybody has a pass and that that that's not an easy thing for an athletic director to do and I'm not saying that that all of a sudden deserves John makes John Cohen worthy of praise I'm not saying that that work makes him worthy of this unbelievable criticism for his entire time at Auburn but it is absolutely noteworthy and if you don't understand the full context of few freeze I hope you finally do now any mm-hmm. other thoughts on freeze before I got one other thing on this iron
1: yeah so i think that you know a couple of good points there and i think you you definitely everyone has to look at this higher with nuance right because and i'll be the first to say it like whenever this job was up i was the one saying i think hugh free is a better coach than lane kiffin and he is a guy who knows how to win football games knows how to you know beat alabama all this different stuff so from a football standpoint um obviously you know that's that's one aspect of it and furthermore i am also aware that the team that i cheer for hired brian kelly who also has a pass okay And I had to kind of reconcile that as a fan hiring a guy that I was the one throwing rocks at to your point about, oh, well, imagine that this wasn't your team. You know, it's fine when it's at Notre Dame and, oh, this Brian Kelly has done all this bad stuff, doesn't affect me, I can make fun of him. But then when that person puts on your colors that you associate with your family and your way of life, uh, it's a reflection of you, it's a reflection of Auburn, the town, it's a reflection of the SEC, it becomes a little bit different, right? And so another point that you made that I think was good is that accountability is not the same as canceling someone, right? So, Hugh Freeze went to Liberty University, um, which I think, in a way, really, really helped his career. I think it was perfect for him. We talked about Malik Willis, talk about the environment up there. Um, there's someone really, really close to me who attends Liberty University and is actually pretty cool and close with him, been over to his house a couple of times, and I'm not out here to you know dump on Liberty University at all. But I think that one thing that we have to realize, you know, as a society, is that Just because you have asked forgiveness from God or your higher power does not mean that you are washed of all moral wrongdoing. You may be washed of your sins from a theological standpoint because, and according to the teachings of Christ, you know, that's all you need to do to be redeemed of your sins. But at the same time, the Bible also says, you know, you have to follow the laws of the land. You can't just walk around and say, I'm cool with God. I can do everything that I can I want. Right. So that's why, you know, this marriage with Falwell and Liberty could be a little bit of a problem, because that is a university, an ecosystem. It's up in the mountains of Virginia that doesn't really see a lot of influence from the outside world. And we've seen these cases, these scandals happen at Liberty University, and they get treated even differently than they have at other colleges who have had these similar scandals because of the religious private element of it. And and not only a private school, but also a private lifestyle, right? And so I wrap that all the way around to say, to your point, I can forgive Hugh Freeze for his past transgressions. He's a, mor- he's a man, he's a mortal person, just like me, who's to say, what that any of us are perfect at the same time this goes more into the um understanding of kind of how this whole thing works right yes when when you talk about that dm okay before that it was easy to say all that stuff was in Hugh freezes past but what is a bit of a red flag to me is that that's the exact same kind of mentality that Falwell built liberty off of which is as long as this man is cool with the lord he is cool with me does not matter what he does in his earthly body and your, your conversation between God and yourself is an A-B conversation. But when other people get involved, when you go into someone else's inbox, when you would take a, a job at a major university, all of those people are now involved in your decisions, in your morality. So while you may say, well, this guy is the most Jesus-like person I've ever seen. And I'm only saying this, Connor, because he used that exact phrase. Yes, He didn't, that's say, what he said. Yeah. He didn't say, you know, this is a good moral human. He said he is Jesus-like. And to me, growing up in the South, in Louisiana and Alabama, that type of rhetoric is alarming to me because, like I said, you know, that doesn't excuse what we would all acknowledge to be wrongdoing. So do I think that that DM alone is disqualifying? No. Do I think it's a crime? No. But all it does is it shows you that there was a lesson to be learned by the previous issues at Ole Miss, and it seems like he just kind of didn't learn it. Not just based on that one interaction. Like I said, I know people, you know, people who have been around Hugh Freeze and the people that I know have said he's been a great person to be around, Yep. but like, not like he's some bad person, not like he's immoral, but just that there's that little gear of how bringing religion into moral, mortal conversations, which sometimes can be good. It can be a good arbiter. But at the same time, you know, that's why the Ten Commandments exist to, to have structure to this whole thing so i just want to say i never talk religion on here um but that's one thing that you got to have accountability that people who are actually hurt sometimes sometimes it's more than just you know your relationship and to your point about him being great at apologizing apologies only matter if you change that behavior and actually walk more like the lord in the way that you're saying but if you have a get out of jail free card you can just pull out whenever you want that's not good man
0: yeah and to be to be clear here like you know Hugh Freeze is is getting a chance here, and where we're, this isn't going to be the rhetoric every single time that we talk about anything related to Auburn football. So those who are just saying, "Oh, you're you're just gonna you're just gonna be anti-freeze with every single thing that you say or do or whatever," like I don't think that's fair. I think that we've We've spoken pretty openly about his past, his present, mm-hmm. his future. And I've already talked about it. I'm really excited to watch what it could potentially look like with this offense with Robbie Ashford and Jarquist Hunter coming back. Like that would be a great mm-hmm. offense to watch. And I'm the, the prospects of that are great. And the prospects we both of all Auburn- I
1: think he's a great this is a college football podcast we both think he is a good to great college football coach from a football standpoint we both I think like the hire it's just the other stuff we got to discuss because if not we're doing the same thing and not sweeping the side of our street that we're asking him to do
0: yes and and there's like if if we're just deciding all right we're we're just not going to discuss any of this none of this stuff matters like that stuff could actually make a difference in whether or not he's Mm -hmm. the Auburn football coach and that's that's Mm -hmm. why we have to talk about stuff like this and let's be honest here like if you go if there is a certain degree of of forgiveness at at a place like liberty that is different than a lot of other programs and i don't know that that freeze is necessarily going to always be able to live within an ecosystem that isn't his own right he he is one of these guys who in my opinion, has a little bit of this Dabo Sweeney sometimes in him, where sometimes you kind of have to remind him, hey, there are other people who are impacted and see the world differently than you. And you can still abide by your own values, your own religion. That's perfectly fine. We get that. But you still have to understand that your actions and your decisions, while you may not have, as he said, ill intent, they still impact people. And if you don't have that full awareness in the position of power that you're in, you're doing your university, a disservice. And his job now as somebody who is a public university employee who's being paid tens of millions of dollars is to recognize all of that and to not just assume that he always has the right decision in mind. And that is something that he's going to have to battle. That's an ongoing battle just because he's the, he, he, he has forgiveness doesn't mean that that's all of a sudden going to be taken care of. So is, is that a fair way to kind of sum this up? And I don't want to spend too much more time on this because yeah. we do have other things to get to, but I, I would be remiss if we didn't bring up that stuff because I do think it goes into this and I think people are talking about it.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you are looking for, you know, like I said, that's the thing. We have lots of time to talk about Hugh Freeze, the football coach, and we will. We're going to get into how his offense, you know, works with these players. Like you were talking yep. about a lot of really fun skill guys. And if Robbie Ashford were to succeed, a coach like him would be so perfect yep. for him. And from again, from a football standpoint, it was the best guy out there. I, I think, you know, maybe there's a weird guy you can think of here or there. Maybe you could be like, could we get Urban Meyer? Could we get Matt Rule? Maybe those weird guys, but for we'll turn guy, down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nebraska. Exactly. They're, you know, for a guy that, you know, can win in the sec, which is the big, big equalizer, right? You, you never know until you know, we know this guy can win at the sec at a school that was in the dirt and we'll Miss. And so, yeah, but I think at the same time, you were being dishonest. If you think this is a football only conversation.
0: One other thing here, I'm happy that Cadillac is happy. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, if he wants to stay at Auburn for another five years, I will root for the guy at every step of the way, because as I always say, I don't root for teams. I root for people. I will root for Cadillac. No question about it. But I said the other day, I think associate head coach title, I think that often gets thrown around for black assistants to stay. And they don't, it's not like they all of a sudden are getting play calling duties or or something like that. And there might be things behind the scenes where they have more responsibilities and they might get a nice little uptick and raise and that's all well and good, but it's basically, hey, we really, really need to keep you around and keep the continuity. And clearly, Cadillac wants to be there because if he didn't, he would have been like, wait, I'm not getting the head coaching job. I'm out of here. And he didn't do mm-hmm. that. Okay, He stood up there with you, Freeze. He said, all right, let's get to work. Clearly, Cadillac wants to grow in this profession. He believes that he will continue to do that. And having a home at Auburn, I'm all for that. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe there's still like a little bit of uncertainty with Cadillac about Leading his own program, either at the FCS level or the group of five level. But I think he's ready for that. I do. And whether he thinks Mm -hmm. that or not, like at some point, I think everyone, correct me if I'm wrong here, because you, you, you deal with people like this in the workplace and people that have gotten to great places of power. But I think everyone who reaches a great level of success has at least one time, just at least one time in their career where they feel like they get a job that they're underqualified for, but it's their job to just figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. Don't you feel like that's, I mean, I felt like that when I came here. I'm like- you're going to give me an entire Big Ten website to go run, SaturdayTradition.com, and I'm going to have to be responsible for everything? Like, yeah, I know what I said in the application process. I know what I did, you know, the show for the last couple of years that I can work really hard and that I understand Big Ten football. But man, you're like, you're giving me that kind of opportunity. All right, I just mm-hmm. got to figure it out. I'm going to stay up until the wee hours of the morning writing stories and we'll just we'll just do it. We'll just go do it, okay? Like, I think there's some of that that Cadillac has in him whether he kind of realizes it or not at this stage of where he's at in his career but you know he figured it out during this time as an interim coach and he was a joy to watch and it was great to hear freeze mention that joy in his opening press conference because i thought if nothing else cadillac was going to show auburn's next coach why that place is so great and he did he really did and he deserves so much credit for that and he's i mean he's he's a hero like he is and i always try not to put certain guys on, on this pedestal. Okay. And, and, and there's always a little bit of that, like, all right, let's, let's not glorify them too much. Cadillac kind of breaks the mold a little bit for me. And I think Auburn fans are kind of feeling that same way about him. So it was a little bit bittersweet seeing the development with Cadillac, because I believe in my heart of hearts that he's capable of, of molding young men. And maybe that opportunity will come in a few years. I'm rooting like hell for it to come in a few weeks. I am sorry.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you. You know, we talked about his lad of the year. He's, he's you know, a guy that's really been in a bad situation as far as when he took over. Heck of a hire from every standpoint, from him first getting there and leaving IMG to him, you know, being retained. And yeah, to your point, it's one of those, you know, uh, that was the cool thing that we talked about last time is that he had the option. If he wanted to stay at Auburn, some people just love Auburn, you know what I'm saying? The crazy thing about Auburn is that A lot of guys are like that. right? Charles Barkley is like that. We've seen Bo Jackson be like that. Like They have a lot of ambassadors that are just true Auburn men through and through. And Cadillac might be in the mold of one of those guys that's like, hey, you know, I'm just waiting for maybe this job. Or maybe I'm waiting for a Power 5 job somewhere that's big that I can one day get this job after Hugh Freeze. And also, you know, maybe he just really likes Auburn and just wants to be there. So, yeah, point being, like you said, it's just I want him to have whatever he he wants really and i think he's done enough to where you know it's not like really when he was asked to call you know i was talking about like the emperor that was asked to like come from his like farm to go lead rome it's like that's what he did now he's back to his old you know situation but he's proven enough that it really can't be taken from him you know unless i couldn't imagine like unless he has like a scandal or something so that that repertoire that that clout is going to stay until he chooses to catch it in
0: I hope, yeah. I, I hope that he's still, uh, that he, whatever these these coaching firms are, these search firms that that, that hire head coaches, I hope he is a name that has quickly gotten on their radar. And they're like, hey, this is a guy that we, we should definitely go out and try and pursue. I think he's got that in him. All yeah. right, well, let's talk some SEC championship because there is yeah. one of those this weekend. It's kind of on the back burner. It's a little weird. It is. Um, Georgia, number one team in the country. Case you haven't heard, number 14 LSU. Man, playoff committee. Really dropped him. I had him in at number nine, I think, when I did my projections for Tuesday. I don't know why I had him so high, but yikes. They did not get the benefit of the doubt after that AM game. Um, the over-under I have is one flashback to the 2019 SEC Championship. Happy mm-hmm. memory, very happy oh, yes. memory for you. Will. Very much.
1: Yes. You were you were there as well. Yeah. We got to all kind of get together, got to hang out with my my mom and my my ex-pastor from Birmingham. It was a great time.
0: Yes. Yes. Shout out, shout out Candler was it was in the suite that day a lot of sad Georgia fans but still great time as always and those was a fun atmosphere to be in at least for a half when it was like lively and then LSU fans just kind of took over Mm -hmm. I remember thinking that day that even in a humbling loss for Georgia in which I mean, like I said, LSU fans took over Mercedes-Benz by halftime. It was Mm -hmm. totally turned around that quickly. They're playing boozy as the confetti falls. Like it is is, – this is like peak LSU this moment to be Mm -hmm. celebrating like that. I think Kirby needed that in-person realization. I talked about this a little bit before but he needed the wake up call to change his offense and seeing what LSU did to tweak its offense, obviously the spread concepts that Joe Brady brought in and then they take over the college ball world, Georgia couldn't defend it. And they sure as heck couldn't keep pace with it with how they were operating in the passing game at the time. And I think Kirby's decision to hire Todd Munkin was such a pivotal move for Georgia to get where it's at today. That is the favorite to repeat as national champions. And, It's not that Munkin was going to copy what what Joe Brady did. This is a copycat sport, but he wasn't necessarily going to be able to recreate the wheel like that. But what Munkin has done such a great job of, and the reason why he is a Broyles Award finalist this year is arguably the top assistant in the sport, even though I would have just given it to Pete Lembo after the couple of weeks that he's had as South Carolina special teams coordinator, but (laughs) I don't have Mm -hmm. a vote. Um, It's what he has done so well is disguising looks. Georgia used to be so predictable, so predictable, man. Like Mm -hmm. with Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers now, and the way this offense operates, Georgia's no longer predictable. They're not they have running backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield like Kenny McIntosh. And obviously before he left James cook, Georgia's just so much tougher to defend. And while I voiced my frustration with the lack of explosive plays in the passing game and specifically the wide receivers, the wide receivers only have one catch of 40 yards. This year was a 52 yard play to Arian Smith against Tennessee. That's the lone 40 yard catch by Georgia wide receiver. Of course, McIntosh has a couple Brock Bowers has two. There's five total for that team. Having said all that, I still think Munkin has allowed Georgia to be the best version of itself. Mm -hmm. Why that's a key in a game like this is because you can't have B.J. Ojolar and Harold Perkins just be able to pin their ears back against a one-dimensional offense. You cannot have that. Will, you brought up a great point in the recap pod. Does Georgia just decide to take a page out of A&M's playbook and say, all right, we're just going to be the North-South team these last two games... You know, the passing really hasn't been there for us. Like, you know, we've had a lot more success running the football, using this deep backfield that we have. You know, we've run it effectively, averaged 43 rushes for 250 yards the last couple of weeks. Does Georgia just say that and just say, all right, we're going to do what A&M did because we know that that can be a path to success?
1: Well, you talk about those monkey concepts, and I think that's what makes it interesting, right, is because the old Georgia offense was a little bit more – they weren't, like, running fullbacks every play for sure, but they were a little bit more vanilla in the way that AM is. Um, is. And, and, like, the running concepts are always very sound, Georgia, Georgian, especially when they had, like, very elite running backs. But I think now the issue then becomes, right, is, like, well, if you can run the ball the way that AM did against LSU – and you have those Todd and passing concepts, which is like, you know, you suck everybody in to stop the, the run because they're scared. They're still seeing a chain running through like Freddy Krueger. And they're like, OK, we got to get in. We're not going to get <laughs> Brian Kelly is not going to yell the same things at us this week. We got to get him to yell new things. And then, boom, you know, somebody's wide open, like, you know. And that's the thing is that like these shot plays that's that something I would definitely look for in this game because we've seen it. Ole Miss did it. Tennessee did it. Yep. Uh, Florida did it against LSU, where it's like first quarter, first drive. We're going to you know isolate one of these corners on one on one main coverage and just see over the top and for whatever reason lsu's number one corner is good he's really good but in that exact situation it's just suspect
0: that was the was he when hooker delivered that just dime that absolute dime that he just dropped from the heavens was i'm blanking on who it was that caught that was that a hyatt play
1: I was about to say, yeah, because obviously um, Killman wasn't playing. And so I think That's Hyatt right. had flexed out to the outside. So I think he would have gotten the number one matchup.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, that that is probably an area that you can attack attack this LSU defense. And, you know, I, I think that'll be something to keep in mind, this kind of blend of old school versus new school with what Georgia wants to do, or at least how they disguise it at the line of scrimmage and how it's being read by that LSU defense. Another mm-hmm. thing I'm munking. Georgia has shown that it can go tempo a lot more. The the up-tempo concepts, it's not like they run it like Ole Miss or Arkansas or something like that. But correct me if I'm wrong here. Georgia used to only kind of run tempo if there was panic, like 2019 South Carolina. (laughs) Right?
1: You get Jake Fromm just like wiggling his hands. and like, what what routes are we running? Yeah, Yeah, we're
0: we're doing like, we're doing this. Jake Fromm was it big 2018. Yeah. oh
1: yes no that exact thing he's like taking his hands and making like a snow globe with it yeah exactly right kind and i remember there was in the 2018 game against lsu that was when lsu had all those great pass rushers and they basically did single man across the board and for whatever reason kirby came out there and just had no protection he was like we're gonna go five wide and lsu's guys were like please yes and that was what we saw plan. right there was that like very ah get out there get out there it's like dude you need to slow down
0: yeah and it's different now I, I think they're a lot more comfortable with it they, they average 70 offensive plays per game this season and 2019 I looked back at this they only hit that four times in the 14 games that they played it's just a little bit of a different style a different flow to it yet the tempo which some feared would be a hindrance to your defense that your defense was going to be gassed That hasn't been the case for Georgia. Georgia's got the Mm -hmm. number one scoring defense in America right now, which is incredible. And there's no way that I would have said that. I came into this year saying the defense is going to regress. It's just a question of how much Kirby's never had consecutive top 10 defenses at Georgia. He's going to do it this year. I mean, barring something totally wild that looks like it is going to happen. And Mm -hmm. you know, maybe we don't see a ton of tempo against LSU because Lord knows it didn't work for Arkansas, but a little bit different what Georgia wants to do versus what Arkansas wants to do a very one dimensional attack that they had with Malik Hornsby that's my point about Georgia they have so much more versatility than they had when those teams met 3 years ago and there's not a single player who made a tackle had a catch had a carry the only actually the only one i went back and looked this up the only guy who had a, an offensive touch or a tackle in this game back in 2019 Stetson attempted one pass. That's there it. That's it. I mean, it that's looks- how which it doesn't feel like that long ago, but it is. And Nolan Smith had a couple of tackles in this game, but he's obviously not going to be active in the sec championship because he's out for the year, but still so much has changed. And part of that is because Georgia has changed, but mm-hmm. that's why even on their worst day, they can still mix things up and beat you by multiple scores. That's the challenge for Matt House. How does he bounce back and have LSU in the spot that he was in before, which was showing, hey, we're as good as there is in college football, making in-game adjustments, and we're going to suffocate you in the second half, and we're going to figure out what you do well. We're going to take it away because, look, I mean, you could just sit here and say, all right, all LSU's got to do is send a ton of pressure. Just send everybody in the kitchen sink. Okay, you got these edge rushers, make it happen. Do we see LSU do that, though? Because if you force Stetson to make quick decisions, it doesn't always work. I mean, it didn't work for Tennessee. They try to blitz him a lot. They blitz a ton. That's mm-hmm. the benefit though, of having a 25 year old starting quarterback who's in year three in this offense with Todd Munkin is mm-hmm. that you might not feel great about blitzing. And of course you need to be able to disguise those looks. We assume Perkins will be in some sort of a spiral though. I don't know that you can depend on that the entire time because Stetson isn't necessarily a high volume scrambler. He's willing to do that. So if you want to put Perkins in more spots where he can make an impact, I don't know. That's the challenge for Matt House. And remember, it's kind of tough to blitz and then put the extra attention on those Georgia tight ends because Mm -hmm. you got to watch those dudes. They are absolutely confirmed dudes. Not confirmed human beings, confirmed dudes. They are. I think we need to add Darnell Washington to the not confirmed human being. Can we, we'll, we'll bring him into that. That's
1: yeah, it took a while, but the six eight guy who catches passes is yeah. really
0: he's there. Yeah. Everybody always says, too, when they see him on the field, that confirm this. I 100 percent agree. Darnell Washington's even bigger than I thought. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's why we yeah. talk about this Georgia versatility. So LSU, it's hard to know what to expect because hmm? Jaden Daniels, like, Will, did you get a, did you feel like Brian Kelly said that he's optimistic about his chances i i, I think Jaden daniels is gonna play i think he is but yeah eh.
1: no i think he's gonna play like we talked about i'm not gonna yell yellow with the two-point conversion again but just insane uh. that was old that was old brian kelly that was yeah. die like adapter die that was die brian kelly where he's like we got to get him out there and he gets hit on the two-point conversion but point being i think uh yeah and, and 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 that's the thing too is a limited you know a limited Jaden daniels takes away your leading rusher wait wait, wait. Um,
0: did you just say limited like the russell wilson unlimited
1: yeah Jaden daniels is <laughs>
0: limited He might not play. His (laughs) mobility is limited. It's not good.
1: But, uh, yeah, point being, one thing I do want to key in on, though, and uh, Emory made this point. I keep calling him Emory, but his real name is John. That's, like, his name in the podcast group. But one thing that I think is super-duper crucial for Jaden Daniels, getting the ball out quickly. Um, If you look at the Kentucky game, basically the reason why Georgia wasn't able to get all the sack numbers we predicted is because Will Levis did a lot of three-step drops, hit a lot of, like, really quick patterns. thing about Jaden Daniels is that boy is not quick. Yeah, slow. He's quick on his feet. But to make the decisions in the pocket, he is like, there are so many sacks that are just him standing there and kind of Mm -hmm. moving around and falling down. And again, he's been a great quarterback all year. But I think for LSU's standpoint, what they need to focus on instead of using his mobility as a crutch and say, dog, if it's not there in two, like three to five seconds, get that ball out. Do not try to, you know, get these Georgia future, like there's Georgia dudes you are going to check in that we're going to be talking about in three years, like the number four draft. Pick. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, dudes you don't even know that are on Georgia right now. Don't make the fifth best person on Georgia's D-line get a one-on-one with you because you're going to know his name very quickly, whoever that will be. Um, and we saw that with Walker in the 2019 game, right? Because Joe Burrow put him in the dirt, but then three years later, it was like, this guy's awesome. Yeah. so, point being, that's what I was thinking about that, but point being, like, I think that's the key is instead of being like, yeah, can, J- can Jaden go, can Jaden run? It's like, let's try to not focus on that try to get the ball out and then if it's there and you got it go for it but if we make that part of the game plan don't think it's gonna
0: work okay so i can go both ways with this because mm-hmm. obviously against the number one defense in america you'd prefer that your quarterback is enti- has his entire arsenal available yeah. you'd like him to be feeling his best right you know mm-hmm. if you're about to go on a cross-country flight you don't want to have the flu for five days leading up to it Probably, you know, just a thought, but this could also go the opposite way where it kind of benefits LSU. Maybe that, that maybe Daniels can't default to his legs and he's Mm -hmm. willing to maybe take some of those chances because he's like, look, I'm hanging out in the pocket. I right. recognize that. Maybe we, we're we going to get the ball out quickly. We're not even going to make make that an option for me to be able to run in. I don't know if he's going to know that until he even gets there. And we'll see what that pain tolerance is like. And if that's something that LSU has to kind of work against and they have to kind of adjust their game plan accordingly, I would assume that we're going to see Keely Ringo line up on Keijon Booty. I would assume that. It was interesting seeing Georgia Tech really pick on Ringo. And that's not something you see a lot for a guy who could come off the board in the top 10 in the NFL draft in a few months. Mm-hmm. We know that Ringo is super aggressive. That That's mm-hmm. that's what he does. He's going to take some chances. He's a little bit handsy. He likes to play press coverage. It you has t- worked out for him, to be clear. It has, to be <laughs> fair, <feel>. yes. <laughs> yeah. For the most part. I see why he does that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? If I had that in my arsenal, I probably would too. <laughs> Don't blame him, mm-hmm. okay? Shouldn't be giving everybody an eight-yard cushion if you're Killy Ringo. I agree with that. Um, but the, the point being, you, you got to take some chances to beat Georgia, mm-hmm. right? You absolutely do. I don't see LSU lining up and punching the number one rushing defense in the mouth. Okay. Don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Also, why wouldn't LSU be afraid to play a little loose? Okay. Mm-hmm. You're in Atlanta. You aren't playing with playoff hopes, riding on every pass. Yeah. It'd be nice to go to a new year's six bowl instead of the citrus bowl. I love it here in Orlando. Okay. All right. I understand that going to the sugar bowl is better than that, but still, I wouldn't say that's a reason to to tighten up in this one at all. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's part of me that wants to say LSU is going to make it a 60-minute game because this year has just been weird, and LSU has been weird. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's one historically dominant team in the sport, even Georgia. Georgia could win this game 42 to nothing, and I'd still probably look up and be like, yeah, there's – I think there's still an argument to be made that the four previous national champs I'd put ahead of them, and I think those are more historic, and that was something that I wrote about for SaturdayDownSouth.com, and I think Georgia fans would even agree with that with some of the moments that they've had where they're like, ah, of going to wake up, they're going to they're gonna figure this out, and the, the path to get to a national championship – even feels a little bit different than what it did last year and getting through Alabama and all those different things. So, but I don't want that necessarily to take away from this game because there's still definitely a lot on the line. And I think there's still a lot on the line for a Georgia team that might have a playoff berth locked up already, but they'd like to avoid last year. I think they would. I don't think they want to go into this situation where you know they're this team that all of a sudden is figuring out their weaknesses after losing in the SEC championship. It worked out for them last year. I think Kirby, if he had it his way, they go out, they take take care of business and they win against LSU and lock up that one seed. I think mm-hmm. Kirby's going to be able to avoid that. I do in the games in which Georgia has had to truly get up, which this one, in my opinion is get the one mm-hmm. seed play in Atlanta. I think Georgia shows up on a mission. I do not sure the Mercedes Benz curse is still hanging over them because that looked like anything but a curse team week one against Oregon. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's, that's really a thing that we should be saying about them at this point, but I think Georgia shows up ready. I think, and it feels a little bit more lopsided than it actually is. Well, bad things happen to LSU when I pick your Tigers, so I'm doing you a favor.
1: Yes. Uh, My favorite line about this is, you know, whenever people are like, oh, yeah, like this matchup's obvious. I was like, yeah, so you're sure that Kirby is going to move to two and four in the SEC championship and one and two against LSU with a win. But you're sure of that. Because at the end of the day, I think that like we've talked about, this is gonna be Brian Kelly's worst team at LSU, probably. This is gonna be so far probably the second best team Kirby Smart has had at Georgia, you know, versus last year obviously it was the best. Um, so I would say that there are two game scripts for this game. Game script number one is exactly what you're talking about. Um, it's Georgia goes in there, handles business against a three loss LSU team. They don't look like they belong. And Georgia then has, you know, an Auburn team that lost to UCF and a four loss LSU team in the repertoire of SEC championship victories awesome the other one is that they get stuck in a four-quarter game with lsu could and, happen hey happened against AM, didn't work out i get it but everybody else <laughs> because at the end of the day it took kirby smart six tries to beat nick saban it took brian kelly one at lsu wait a minute was it, was it six was
0: it six was one and five right all right now i'm gonna have to do this continue i'm gonna have to do this math in my head
1: okay so took him <laughs> one at lsu you know what I'm saying? And I could be wrong. That was like I, I like kind of like looked up his uh record. So it might be it might be another one. But anyway, so point being, you know, you just never know. To your point about the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, at when LSU plays in New Orleans, it's usually a lock. I saw Brian Kelly lose the second game LSU has ever lost in that stadium. But the fact of like I walked into the national or the SEC championship last year. It was 70-30, or sorry, not last year, against LSU in 2019. 70-30 Georgia, you know what I'm saying? Everybody was like, well, you guys are going to come in here to die. And then the game started. So that's all I'm going to say. If you see it early, if Georgia gets ahead early, if it just is clear that LSU needs a couple of recruiting cycles to hang out with the talent of Georgia, (laughs) that will be one thing. But there is the option. If this is a game in the third or fourth quarter, I think LSU is going to win. Because Mm -hmm. how many of those games has Kirby won? He's definitely, like I said, he struggled with you know Mizzou. Can't say it. I get it. But these games that you're talking about, Tennessee, Oregon, all been blowouts. LSU is a team that has shown over and over again that they are bane. They were born in the darkness.
0: Yeah, that's some true. Some people,
1: some people adopt the darkness. LSU was born into it, and honestly, the end thing uh, proves that more than anything because you never know what you're gonna get. So I will say I would still pick Georgia and I would pick it in a very, I said this on, on Emory's podcast. I would still say it's like a 20 point win for Georgia, but if you're a Georgia fan and you get into halftime, or if you get into that fourth quarter and you're not comfortably up against LSU, we know that even with all these injuries, LSU had no business beating Alabama. They had no business beating Ole Miss the way they did. They had no business with the Tom Petty stuff against Florida. And yet they won the SEC West in week one and none of it, or in year one, and none of it made any sense. So we can logic our way into this. And again, that's probably what will happen. But when it comes into the program, somehow LSU's DNA has been this team that comes from behind, and Georgia's has been this team that can't beat good teams in the SEC championship.
0: Five tries it took. One yeah. and four. He's one, one and four. four. Okay. One Yeah. There you go. I think I think I did that right. I think I did that right in my head. But you're right. I mean, I, I think if, if you're getting it, that's 100% fair. And I think even a Georgia fan would say, if it's a three point game played in this one, mm-hmm. who's got the experience playing in that? It's LSU. I mean, right. I, I think that's such a key point. Is that Georgia's got to show up? You you need a first round knockout. You do. Yeah. I mean, 100%. you obviously go into it playing. You're going to play 60 minutes, but I think Georgia, the style that it wants to play and why just complimented all the different ways that I think they can beat you. I do think that that's something that would favor LSU and LSU having that comfortability and knowing, hey, we're loose and not have Georgia with these deja vu things about letting a game slip away in the second half like they did last year against Bama in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, and I think all the logic in the world, like I said, says that Georgia's going to win. If LSU wins, it will make no
0: type of sense. But nine.
1: LSU is definitely a second-half team, and Georgia has the opportunity to do what they did against Tennessee and Oregon. I, I would pick that, to be clear.
0: Playoff implications. It seems... Really straightforward, really straightforward. Which just tells you that it probably won't be by the end of the weekend because that's the way this sport has worked this year. But if everybody in the top four wins, all those spots are going to stay the same. I think TCU is still in the playoff with a loss to a top ten Kansas State team. Even if they get blown out, it's not at home. They still beat seven Power Five teams with bowl eligibility. It could just be a matter of seating and what that all looks like. It seems pretty unlikely that we'll get a Michigan Georgia rematch in the semifinal because if Georgia loses, Michigan goes to number one georgia probably in that two three game and if michigan loses i think they they, they're going to stay at like number three i don't think they necessarily fall to the four because Mm -hmm. usc obviously has the one loss um by the way if there's any notion out there that michigan deserves the number one overall seed ahead of georgia remember that michigan punted on playing an actual non-conference game while georgia played two power five teams in non-conference play and also if you want to say well michigan has the best win in college football they have more wins against current top 10 teams remember that those are their only top 25 wins while georgia has four and all of those were blowout wins and three of them were away from home but i digress i realize i'm preaching to the choir so even if you just pretend that 11 months ago in miami didn't happen which look that's a different year OK, the argument still favors Georgia, who also beat power five teams by an average of twenty seven point three points compared to nineteen point seven for Michigan. Other than that, I think there's a good chance that the playoff field is decided by Friday night. And I think the selection committee with what they told us on Tuesday kind of showed its hand. So that's thoughts on that. And look, I don't want to this isn't necessarily related to the playoff thing, but a lot of people are talking about it. Is it Is OK if I spent a quick minute on. On the Tennessee Bama stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Bama being ranked ahead of Tennessee. And if you tell me, well, the Vols aren't at that level with Joe Milton and that should factor into the selection committee's ranking, I'd say they did just win 56 to nothing against a red hot Vandy squad. <laughs> <laughs> second longest streak in the SEC, baby. But my counterpoint to that would be this. If we found out that Jackson Smith and Jigbo was going to be back for a potential playoff game, would we then say, well, Ohio State is getting the best receiver in America back, so they should be ranked ahead of USC, right? So we can't use it to work in both ways. So that like, that doesn't make any sense. That, why would we, how would we all of a sudden elevate Ohio State's resume as a result of that? I like going off the resume, not hypotheticals. A not so hypothetical thing is Alabama lost to Tennessee. Tennessee has the better wins. And if you say, but the South Carolina lost, I'd say, well, what about the fact that Alabama and Tennessee both went into Death Valley? One team won 40 to 13 and another lost in overtime. I'm just saying, I, I know that one game was at day, one game was during, you know, was nighttime in Death Valley. Not probably a 28 point swing there. Just throwing that out there does this actually matter not for the playoff both are going to go to new year six bowls but does it matter for the sugar bowl yeah because they get the highest rated non playoff team from the sec it appears likely that it's going to be bama we'll kind of wait and see how all that plays out it's also just kind of the principle of it so i kind of understand where tennessee fans are coming from and why they're frustrated anything else playoff related will how funny, would, first off, I hope everybody wins so we can keep Ohio State and Bam out.
1: Second, how funny would it be? And this is like kind of what's favored to happen. If we, at the end of this chaotic season, end up with Georgia versus Lincoln-Riley again, and then Georgia versus Michigan again, and they win both of those games. Because they'd Could be favored happen. in both of them. And it's like, ah, oh, we've literally seen this happen
0: before. But alternatively, what if it's a little bit of the the re, the 2017 Lincoln-Riley-Kirby-Smart Rose Bowl? That's okay. what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. Yeah, because that
1: was the time they played in the playoff before.
0: Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. No, no. A Dif- little bit different. I mean, it's different mm-hmm. circumstances, but that, I, I think this Oklahoma team is actually a little bit, or this USC team rather is 2018 Oklahoma. I think that's kind of the comp, like Kyler, Caleb Williams, their defense mm-hmm. is just horrible. They're bottom 15 in the country in yards Again. per play allowed. Really, really bad. Um. Yeah. But yeah, that could very well happen, but it feels like we're going to get some new matchups and that's exciting and that's mm-hmm. fun. And maybe we'll just end up with Georgia and Michigan in national championship. Who knows? Speaking of Michigan, lock of the week. Your boy was down last week. <laughs> Iowa State let me down just a little bit. They were what, like 35 points away from being able to cover? Didn't happen. Uh, we're still eight and five. Yeah, eight and five. That's fine. No big deal. Going to be over 500. Michigan, minus 16 and a half, Big Ten championship against Purdue. Or as my father in law would say, not Purdue, but P. P. He loves P. That. looking good. <laughs> It is really hard for me to pick against Purdue or P when they're facing the number 2 team in the country under Jeff Brom. They are 2 and 0 against the number 2 team in the country. They're they're actually sitting there at 3 and 0 against top 3 teams under Jeff Brom and you know that Jeff Brom is going to have a million trick plays dialed up. It's also really hard for me to pick against Purdue because uh, as I said before, my mom was Aiden O'Connell's kindergarten gym teacher. So basically, Aiden O'Connell and I got our athletic background from these same exact women. If you haven't seen Aiden O'Connell playing with a heavy heart, his brother recently died. There is definitely a world in which Gus Johnson is uncomfortably referencing that with each dart that O'Connell delivers and Purdue makes this a 60 minute game. I could definitely see that happening. But I just think Michigan kind of discovered its downfield passing attack, which they were forced to without Blake Corum. And that's a bad, bad recipe for the way that Purdue defense. Since the Big Ten ditched legends and leaders for East and West, the West has yet to win a Big Ten championship. I don't think that trend starts against this Michigan team, even if Blake Corum isn't at 100%. So reluctantly, I'm going to say that Michigan covers minus 16 and a half. Before we kick it to Hester, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. Hey guys, you know how sports betting isn't legal in all these states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, etc. In other words, most of the SEC states. I want to talk to you about underdog fantasy. You may have tried daily fantasy in the past, but underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. And they have some awesome college football contests where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks. They'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way to get some money to play on these contests. So what's it look like for college football? Every week, you can pick higher or lower for different players. For example, Stetson Bennett, 200 passing yards, higher or lower. Just like we talk about every time with our preview podcasts that we do with over-unders. It's pretty similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, this is legal and live in states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. All right, so I've just looked at some of the higher lowers. on do Eight and four in these so far. No big deal. I'm giving you money. Went 2-0 and on this past Monday Night Football thanks to a certain Deontay Johnson uh, half yard. Uh, That was the difference in that one. So we're hot. We're feeling really good about this. It's doing a little bit better than Lock of the Week right now. Here are the ones I like for Thursday Night Football. Dawson Knox, former Ole Miss tight end. We're going under 32 and a half receiving yards, which may or may not be, but definitely is because he just put up a goose egg on Thanksgiving when my wife picked him up that morning on her fantasy team and it didn't work out so well. And then let's go with Mac Jones under 223 and a half passing yards. Whiffed on that one last time. Sooner or later, Mac is going under, even though I feel like I've been more pro Mac than anti Mac, but there you have it under for both of those two former uh sec studs all right guys that's it underdog is awesome super fun to do while you're watching college football or any other sport in your living room and you can win some real money go to saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog and take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to a hundred dollars yep you can get up to a hundred dollars free saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog all right let's kick it to Hester not excited to be joined by a very special guest it is Jacob Hester Hester, uh, when I come on your serious show every week, we usually start by trolling how bad my picks are against the spread. Mm -hmm. Um, When I picked Bama to cover against LSU and then LSU won, I just texted you, you're welcome. Um, So once again, you're welcome because I am now officially on record saying that I think George is going to cover against LSU.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. You had me in mind when you did that, so I do appreciate that. Um, Yeah, so LSU's probably kind of hard to pick against the number this year with what they've done, the ups, the downs. I mean, last week I would have if I bet LSU. Now, I don't bet LSU, but if I would have, I would have put money on LSU to cover against Texas A&M. So it's been one of those teams, Connor, very difficult to tell which team is going to show up. 17 and a half does feel like a pretty big number against this LSU team, and Georgia doesn't care if they win. 14 to nothing like we know how georgia plays we know there's if they won 17 to nothing they wouldn't care so it's an interesting number um i can i can make a case probably for both ways but i appreciate you going ahead and placing your bet on the line that means
0: lsu will at least cover this game and not get embarrassed i really just wanted to guarantee that i was going to see a good game that's that's all i care about <laughs> at the end of the day just just give me entertainment I don't are, you go- right? are you gonna be there yeah i'll be there i'll be, oh, there. Nice. be there nice
2: yeah i'm getting there tomorrow i mean i got A lot of things I have to do there. So they went ahead and sent us on Thursday night. So we get an extra night. Now, you know, usually when you have an extra night, Chris Doring wants to hang out and Mm. do Chris Doring things. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for that just yet. I've got to get my mind right.
0: I've experienced the night out with CD and I can't keep up with him. I, I'll just I'll just be honest with you. I'll be like he he will admit that I couldn't keep up with him. I don't think Marler can I can't keep either. up with CD. Yeah, that's no. That's I'm,
2: I'm 37 years old, and CD is the youngest 49 year old of all time. Absolutely. I mean, he can he can. You know, if we're going out, he can handle that situation better than I. If we're working out, because we do that, like whenever we get yep. together, we're meatheads. And so we do work out in the hotel gym. He always crushes me there as well. So he's living life the right way for a 49 year old.
0: CD is just the embodiment of full send all the time. Yeah. And I love
2: that, it. I'm stealing that. Okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> look, I'll cite my work because I have integrity. I'll cite my work, but I'm stealing that.
0: What's that? Did you steal from me before? Was it the CD? Text me every once in a while. Now be like, Hey, what was that stat that you brought up earlier? So I could like work it into
2: pregame. Um, I'm sure uh, I've stole ACC. one. I'm probably stole one before. Uh, I'm not sure. But if I usually do, I cite my work. So if I found it on my own accord, I do apologize because, you know, like I'm going to give you the credit. Now, Marler, hell no. I'm not giving Marler (laughs) any credit, right? I mean, he can't even come in my hometown, so I'm not giving him any credit. But you, yes, I would definitely cite your work if I knew that it was yours.
0: That's true. No, no, your grandfather didn't. You're good to go. Um, (laughs) Okay, so explain what happened last week in College Station, because I, for the life of me, can't really put any good firm analysis on it other than this year is weird and lsu is kind of just this weird team that can show up from quarter to quarter half to half week to week you don't know who you're going to get it's not quite jekyll and hyde but it's somewhere in between and we settled on a game like that in which they had their weirdest game of the year when it was arguably their most important game of the year
2: Really this year, and, and you're exactly right, like they've played a lot of halves, really good halves of football. They played some bad halves of football as well. Florida State, bad first half. You find your way in the second half, you come up just short. Old Miss game, um, not, not a great, not an awful first half, but a really good second half. Mississippi State, same situation. I mean, that was really the story of their year. Auburn, I mean, you played awful in the first half. You win that game in the second half. The Alabama game was the only time that they had played really a full game and an overtime of really good football. They played free, they played loose, and that was the best version of LSU. And it felt like in College Station, Connor, they were about to play that second half of football. It's 17-10, three and out for a you get the ball, you drive right down you score, three and out again, you get the ball back, and here we go. I'll be honest with you, as an LSU fan, I was like, oh, here it comes again, and I felt good. I felt good, I was like, this is exactly where you want to be. And then you fumble, they pick it up, scoop and score, and it completely change the narrative of that game. LSU right now is not in a place where they can, you know, have a, a play like that and maybe come back from it on the road right now. They just they haven't played well on the road. They're not far away from it. They're way ahead of where we thought they would be, but they're just not there yet. And that was the um that was the killer in that game. As far as like the nitty gritty of it. You did things in that game that you hadn't really done all year. The most missed tackles you had in the game coming into that game was 12. You had hmm. 21 in that game. Whoa. You had 21 missed tackles. And so this this LSU defense has been really consistent. Even when the offense hasn't been there, the defense has been there. And you could not get – and A-Chain's a hell of a running back. But you faced really good running backs. You've played Arkansas. You've played Ole Miss. You've played some of the best that the SEC has to offer. And you didn't have that type of game. But you had it on the worst possible day that you could have it. And initially, Connor, I thought it must be pushed. Just watching it on the TV copy, I'm like, oh, they must have got more push. You must have been soft there up the middle. That wasn't the case. LSU averages, I believe, 1.7 yards before contact to other rushers this year. It was 1.5 in this game. So it was about where actually a little bit better than what it had been all season long. But your gap integrity was really bad. You did not play gap sound football. You overran a ton. And I don't know if it's because of the old school nature of Jimbo's offense. I'm not trying to clown him here. You know I love Jimbo, but it looks like that old school offense with a fullback and a tight end gave them some problems. It's like almost like they didn't know how to fit the run. And so when you when you're not good in your gaps, obviously it creates space for the running back, But what it also does is if you're not in your right gap, you're in half a gap. And as a tackler, you're hitting half of a running back and not the full thing, right? You're not fronting him up. And as a former running back, I wanted to get on your edge. I wanted to get on your shoulder because I felt like I would have the power there. I'd be able to drive you, break a tackle, and move on down the field. If you had your whole body there, right, and I can try to make you miss, but I'm going to slow down. I can try to go through you, but eventually it's going to be a game tackle situation. And so LSU allowed a and to play on their edge, and A-Chain did a hell of a job. You also got to tip your cap to him. He ran angry. He ran yeah. like it was going to be his last time to go out there and show out, and he did. And so that, to me, was the biggest story of the game. Offensively, we could sit here and we could go back and forth. I think if the defense would have held AM, they would have had the opportunity to run the football more. Because you know this, Texas a and run defense is not good. They're last in the SEC. By 20 yards, they're last in the SEC. And you had success running the football. John Emery and Noah Kane were running the football well, but you got behind. You're trying to play catch-up, and so you had to hurry up. You had to try to throw the football. And so, for me, that was the biggest thing for LSU and College Station.
0: This was a Jacob Esther football game, I mean, through and through. Like Their their game plan, what A&M did – And and my co-host, Will, brought up this point about how, you know, it's almost like LSU got so used to to defending these teams horizontally that when a team just said, we're going to go north-south, it's going to be old school, we're we're just going to – and we're just going to try and punch you in the mouth, like – a to their credit, kind of confused LSU. When you talk about the gap integrity and how that, that yards before first contact, that doesn't, to me, say, oh, LSU was sleeping on them. There's a le- there's a difference between lack of discipline and gap integrity versus not showing up ready to play. And LSU was ready to play in the trenches, but not necessarily dis- disciplined in the areas that they, that they yeah. needed to be. So, how does it change your excitement level now? Because your excitement <laughs> level pre AM going into the SEC right. Championship had to be just very different compared to that level right now. And obviously, an SEC Championship is what it is. And beating Georgia would be an unbelievable yeah. year one feat. But still, how have you kind of dialed back expectations and your excitement level?
2: Well, yeah, obviously, it is always going to be a tall task for LSU, even if they won the AM game. I mean, Georgia is the number one team in the country for a reason. Um, it doesn't take away from the game for me. Now, if you won the game against AM, it's almost like you could do no wrong in the SEC championship game, in the LSU eyes, uh, fans' eyes, right? And so, like, you go there, but now it's like, oh, wait a minute, hold up. You could be looking at 9-5. and five. Mm-hmm. If you lose the SEC championship game, you lose a ball game, and that's not – even though preseason, like, nine wins, every one of the LSU fans you talked to would have taken that, but then you get your expectations up. So, yes, it's disappointing because you felt like you built up so much equity and you kind of got rid of some of that equity, not all of it, but in the game in College Station. But make no mistake about it, like you're going to have like a chance. Like There's going to be plays in this game if you make them that you can stay in this game. LSU's got too much talent just to get blown out, I think, from the get go. Can you make those plays? Can you be able you know stay with Georgia? Because Georgia's had some games where they've started slow, but the other team hasn't been able to take advantage of that. And ultimately, Georgia's depth and talent has taken over. So it's going to be a tall task. There's, there's no doubt about it. Georgia's the number one team, again, for a reason. But I hope that these players realize that outside of winning a national championship, The second biggest thing that you can do in college football and maybe in college athletics outside of winning a championship, the championship, is winning an SEC football championship. It's special. Like they have 10 year reunions for SEC championship teams across the 14 schools. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) But look, I only won one, I played in two. But we, I mean, we won, I don't know how many games, I mean, 40 plus games in my career, but we only won one SEC championship game. And I can tell you from personal experience, because when I started that game, I didn't think we could win a national championship. We lost to Arkansas. We had to have 73 things happen in front of us. Thank God for Shady McCoy. Shout out. Pitt beating West Virginia, right? So for us, like, and nobody believes me when I say this, it was still a gigantic thing for us to go and win an SEC championship game because our class had had a lot of wins but we lost in 05 to Georgia in that game. We had not yet won an SEC championship game. And so it means the world. It means something very, very special. And so you have an opportunity. And Georgia, look, Georgia didn't win it last year and still won the national championship. And so can you try to take advantage of them knowing if they lose, they're still in the playoff? Though Kirby does a hell of a job. I'd, it's going to be hard for them not to have the right mentality because I know Kirby. I played for Kirby. But – I hope they realize that these opportunities don't come very often and don't allow last week to creep into this week because you had an outside shot at the playoff. That's great. But still going to win this sec championship game and going to play in a sugar bowl, LSU hasn't played in a true sugar bowl. That wasn't a national title game since 2006. So like there's stuff on the line that means something in this game. And it's going to be, again, I know the 17 and a half points, but If you play the game that you've shown that you can play, who knows? Who knows what can happen?
0: Okay, let's go back to 07 because I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And, you know, the circumstances surrounding that game, it's very easy to forget about what happened the week prior You know, Darren McFadden, he brought the wood and, you know, LSU (laughs) looks like, all right, on the outside looking in three overtime, they lose this opportunity at a national championship this bananas year that was 2007. And you talk about not feeling like you can go to a national championship at the start of that game. It's different now for LSU, of course, because three losses is much different than two, even in this current system. But what is that mindset like? Do you feel looser if you feel like there isn't a national championship at stake? Did that factor into your mindset at all? Or is that something that we just talk about that's not going to impact them whatsoever?
2: No, it's a great question. And and that, that week, I, I don't know, there was just so much going on. I mean, we thought Les potentially was going to Michigan the day of the yeah. game. I mean, Herbie comes out with that report and I respect Herbie more than I respect anybody in our business. And so if Herbie said it, I'm like, man, it must be true. And we had Ryan Perilou, who was starting that game. Matt Flynn was injured that game. And Ryan played a bunch of that year in packages. He had his own set of plays, but he had not been out there really leading us in a long time. He started the middle Tennessee State game, but it had been a while. And you're wondering how's that going to play out? And there's just so much circling. Like you heard a lot of people mad because they felt like, you know, fans thought that we blew an opportunity to play in a national championship game. And so there was so much going on that week. It was it was kind of difficult to focus on the actual game until you got to Atlanta. You kind of got away from a lot of that, and there was a, a sense of freeness because we we did some things in that week schematically that we hadn't really had up. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you to how far we went. We ran the speed option with me back there. Okay, <laughs> look, I am very um, confident in my talents. I had a lot of talents. Uh, ISO. Power, counter, zone runs. I felt like I was really good at those things. Speed option, not one of them, but we put it in that week because everything was up. Everything was on the table. And actually, we closed out the game running speed option. I mean, that was like the the kind of the nail in the coffin there. So that was kind of fun for us because, you know, look, Les didn't have a, a ton of stuff up. I mean, he knew what he had. He knew what he was. He knew what he wanted to get done. And that's why, like, 07 Florida game, we ran the same play like 37 times because – he felt comfortable calling those plays. He trusted us in those plays, but like that week, it was kind of like, hey, Croton, you got it, like put some stuff in, and he did, and it was fat, uh, fantastic, and it worked.
0: I've, I feel like I've asked you this before, but remind me what Saturday going into Sunday was like for you um, when you realized, oh, my God, 07 is not done being drunk, and we're about to get this <laughs> opportunity.
2: Oh, man, it's the best in the world. I mean, we were so excited to win the game, beat Tennessee. And I'd be lying to you if I said, oh, yeah, we're going to get back in this thing. But as you started to hear the scores, like you start to, okay, well, you know, maybe this thing can play out. Maybe this thing can happen. And, like, the pit beating Virginia, West Virginia was obviously, like, the one that nobody would have predicted. There was no way that that was going to happen. So getting that one, it's like, wait a minute, I think Oklahoma can beat Mizzou. I mean, Mizzou's a good football team, but Oklahoma has an opportunity in this one. And then they just keep coming, they keep coming, and we're on the plane, and, you know, there wasn't TVs, there wasn't Wi-Fi on there. So when we get the score from the actual pilot who's calling down to the tower, the tower's telling them the score, he's giving us the updates. I mean, everybody's, like, standing kind of on, you know, up in the plane. No, you're not supposed to. We're all, like, standing in the aisles, and, like, our hands are on the seats, and we're, like, bracing ourselves, like, waiting for every update. So when you hear that bing, You know, when you open the microphone up, it's just like, are we going to the championship or not? And when that last one came, I mean, it's pandemonium. I mean, just towels being thrown over there, uh, you know, towels, uh, blankets, pillows, like whatever, whatever was being thrown up in the air, Gatorade bottles. And it was just this great feeling of, man, we are not, nothing was official, but we knew like our resume compared to the other resumes now, like we have got a real opportunity. And then we land there have a house party like you always do in college we're celebrating and then sunday we have that selection show and we find out we're going to the national championship game and it's a sunday night it's even though it's a college town like nothing's open we go across the river to port allen home of peter burns we found this hole in the wall bar the entire football team our girlfriends our friends were all there and we're celebrating and man it was like utopia because just, you know, feeling like that was taken away from you, having no opportunity, and then all these things have to happen and you do it, we definitely – uh we celebrated it like it should have been celebrated. And then once we got to that point, Connor, we could have played the 72 Dolphins. It wouldn't have mattered. Like, we were going to win that game because you let us back in. If we would have got that opportunity and blown it, I mean, uh, that would have crushed us for the rest of our lives.
0: And that's why I think it's always so dangerous. If a team like Ohio State gets into this field, like – yeah look out that would be and they maybe get Jackson Smith and Jigba back and all of a sudden you're talking about a very different Ohio State team when you know you've been through the ups and downs and to be told hey it's not going to happen for you this year and then you're just playing as free and as loose as possible in football just kind of has like a different psyche I feel like than it does in other sports and you guys were able to to kind of capture that and you know, Georgia is not going to have anything like that. Like Georgia loses this game. It's like, all right, Georgia's still in the college football playoff. Yep. No big deal. It's kind of followed the same formula as last year because obviously they redeemed that loss. But yeah. what's that path to be able to pull off that upset? And for LSU to, to have this, this moment of, hey, look, didn't go our way. We know we're not going to the college ball playoff. But at the same time, we salvaged something. We did something special here in year one with Brian Kelly.
2: Oh, they have to realize – the opportunity in front of them because what was it? Six and a half was the win total, I think, coming into this season. Was it that low? I think it was six and a half in some books. And so the fact that you're in this game, you have to realize you're ahead of schedule and you have to realize the work that you've done. And Brian Kelly's talked a lot about the traits that got them there, not necessarily the talent. And you saw that. Like, you can go watch the film and you can see the traits that he's talking about. Like, if this team doesn't play free in this game – I would be shocked. Like they have to, right. You have to go out there and knowing that no one expects you to win. Yes. If you win, you get to a sugar bowl, but there's not now right now, like there's not, you know, the college football playoff and the potential of getting into the playoff on the line, like you mentioned. And so you've got to come out there. And if, if you come out and you play like you did against Alabama, like I talked about earlier, like you're talking about a team that can compete in this game, but, like, you're playing with house money. And not a lot of times at LSU, a place like that, can you do that. But you are. You're playing with house money. You don't have this thing on the line, even though you have this big thing in front of you that you can go and, and you can achieve. And so I'd love to be in the meetings this week. I'd love to hear what Brian Kelly's saying to the team. I'd love to to kind of be a fly on the wall there because this is a team that we're talking about that was picked. You know, my guy Phil still. I have my Phil still right in front of me every day when I do my show. But he picked LSU to finish seventh. Uh, the Whoa. media. We all picked him to finish fifth in the West, like not the SEC, I but in finish. the West. Fifth, yeah. Okay, I think I, it, I think I was third.
0: No, did I had him sixth. Oh, I had him six because I had him three and five in SEC play. So I had him going seven and five. Yeah. I mean,
2: three Damn. and five. I mean, I'm just, look, you're not alone in that. I mean, right. I, I played for the program and I tried to take the purple and gold glasses off, and I was like, okay, I can, I can get him to third. But that was more so because I wasn't a believer in a And M. I think yeah. I had A&M fourth and a lot of people had them second. I think I actually, I think I had Arkansas Ole Miss number two. I'd, I have to go back and look, but like even somebody like me, like I'm like, no, this year, this is just not the year. Now you go get transfers out of the portal that are going to patch it together enough to be able to put a respectable product out there. But like literally nobody had LSU in this spot. And so there is something you can take from that. You can take advantage of that. And I'm just curious how they're going to try to come out. How are they going to play? Because I would be very disappointed, Connor, if they come out and they play conservative, trying not to get blown out. I really would. And I don't think they are to be clear, but if they came out, that would disappoint me because like, why, what, what does it matter if you lose 54 to nothing, or if you lose 28 to 17, honestly, I don't, I don't think three months down the road that that's even part of the conversation. So Hopefully they don't come out. They don't play like that again. I don't think they will because that hasn't been what they've shown so far this year.
0: And to, to be fair, like I think playing there's a difference between playing conservative and recognizing that you're not getting home with your blitzes and Stetson's picking you apart. If you blitz right. and there's, there's a difference you can disguise looks in that way. So it doesn't mean that oh Matt House is just going to send seven, eight every single time with, you know, single <laughs> over the top health. Like that's, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I just agree.
2: Leroy Jenkins sending everybody. <laughs> Play cover zero all game long. Although Zach Arnett tries to do that. It works for them yeah. somewhat.
0: They're, they're good, man. They miss be defense. I would not want to mess with them. Uh, what's your read on Jaden's next step? Does, do you think he comes back for year five?
2: Uh It's definitely the talk of Baton Rouge, right? And you look at guys like Mel Kiper. I think he has even the sixth best quarterback right now in this mm-hmm. upcoming draft. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of that no man's land where, yeah, if you come out, you're going to get drafted. But can you better yourself? How much better? Can you play? What can you continue to develop? Um, If he would have continued the stretch that he was on in the Arkansas game and A&M game that he had in the Ole Miss and Alabama game and the Florida game as well, he's gone. There's no chance he's coming back. He has played himself into a top five quarterback in next year's draft. But he's had some struggles. Now, it's been holistically with the offense. It hasn't just been Jaden Daniels. But So this game will be intriguing if he goes out and balls out against this Georgia defense, then strike while the iron's hot. I I think like it's that kind of situation. It's that close, a good game against Georgia. Maybe he goes, if he doesn't, if he struggles, maybe he comes back. And that, that look, that's huge for LSU because when you look at their quarterback depth right now, you have Garrett Nussmeyer who's played a little bit. You have Walker Howard, who was a highly touted guy, but you don't have anybody behind. There's no miles Brennan who's been in school for 73 years and is sitting there waiting for his turn. And so you're kind of starting over. But if you can get Jaden
0: Daniels back
2: after the growth that he had this year, I think you're talking about a completely different preseason expectation.
0: LSU's got a path to a top five start. Like that's very much on the table. I mean, we yeah. just saw a start off at number six after an eight and four year in which they lose the regular season finale to LSU. They don't play in a bowl game. you yeah. are kind of like, oh, well, it's the influx of talent. And you can have that type of start depending on the way that these next couple games play out. For LSU, but you know, yeah. I think that that a lot of it too is the quiet thing is can you keep Matt House on board because obviously they'll do whatever they can to make sure that he's taken care of, and I think it's a little bit different for Power Five coordinators to stay on board in this day and age as opposed to what it was maybe five ten years ago when they weren't getting paid what they are now. But
2: and Matt House, real quick, he did tell me on air before the season he has a desire to be a head coach. Like that is something that he truly desires. He wants to be a head coach. And so if he got that opportunity, it would be very difficult for LSU to convince him to stay if it was the right opportunity. Now, I don't think he'd leave for another coordinator job, but there's enough jobs around the group of five where usually that's where you're going to get your start. If you're going from a coordinator, you're not going to jump right into the power five. Certainly it's happened before but that's something to pay attention to as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's the key. You you have certain guys that are willing to do the grind of a group of 5 job and build mm-hmm. themselves up that way and then certain guys who are like I'm I'm just going to hang out and uh, I'm going to keep doing this thing because I'm really good at being a coordinator. I'm really good at calling plays. And if I get yeah. a power five opportunity, great. And if I don't, all right, I'm happy here. I'm being well taken care of. And that's a very interesting next step. But like that, that those two things right there, that's going to determine the LSU optimism, maybe, you know, transfer portal additions stuff like that. But Jaden Daniels, Matt House, those two things, yeah. if both of those guys are coming back, like LSU expectations are going to be sky high. And I don't hate it at all. They should be.
2: Yeah, and I'm sitting here and I'm going through the roster in my head and like who you're going, you know, who are you going to lose? Uh, you're probably going to lose Kayshawn Booty, right? You're going Ojalary. to probably lose BJ Ojolari. Jaqueline Roy is going to have a decision, so you're going to have pieces that leave your team. But there's a strong portion of this team that is sophomores, and there's an even stronger portion that's true freshmen. You're talking about your your left and right tackle that have played fantastic this yep. year, continue to get better, right? Those are true freshmen. Harold Perkins, true freshman. And so some of your biggest players during this stretch run where you've beaten Ole Miss, you've beaten Alabama, you've beaten Arkansas, those guys are true freshmen. And so like things like that obviously create a different narrative in the preseason expectations as well, knowing that they start as true freshmen, they're only going to continue to get better.
0: Okay. What about Georgia? Because while Aaron Murray and I are currently fighting over, uh, well, he keeps trying to spread the word that Alabama has a playoff path. And I, I, whatever um I'll, I'll give him credit for for bringing up something that um, no player should be thinking about no coach is going to be talking about this or anything like that this is strictly a conversation yeah. for those of us in the media who get to analyze this stuff and look ahead because we don't have any sort of if we look ahead like whatever that's there's yeah. no you know sort of downside to that but Georgia, we're six weeks away from potentially having a three-peat conversation with what they can return, with yep. what they will have if, if, of course, that's the biggest if in the world, and it's not a guarantee. I'm not saying Georgia's guaranteed to win a national championship, but if they win a national championship with a team that just lost 15 guys to the NFL draft, that is, like, we should be having the three-peat conversation with Georgia. Absolutely. Like, what's what's your thought on kind of the, the way that, that it looks right now and how this could set up for Kirby?
2: It's the least talked about number one team in the country. It's the least talked about defending national champion uh, uh, since I've been doing this. I've been doing it since 2014. It's the least talked about uh, team. And I think Kirby loves it that way. I yeah. truly think he does. And that says something about their team as well. Like, there's not a lot of me guys. Like, anybody that's been a me guy in that program is not there anymore. Connor, and I don't know if you'd push back on this. If we went to the other 13 campuses across the SEC and I said, name me four players on Georgia's offense, four players on their defense. I'm telling you the casual fan. I don't know that they could do it.
0: Not in Georgia's defense, especially. I, not. I don't that's think they could do it. Good point. I, yeah. I,
2: I, re- I really don't. And that is the biggest compliment I can give your team. I hope Georgia fans don't hear that and think that's a dig. I I, I think that is the biggest compliment I can give you because it is truly a team. It is truly playing for each other. It's playing for the coaches. It's playing for the logo on the side of your helmet. It is all those cliche uh, cliches that you hear in movies that don't ever come true. Certainly anymore, but George has figured it out. Like the running back rotation, like those guys, they don't care. They just, when it's their time, they get back there and they run for seven yards of pop and they move on. The next guy comes in, the other guy's cheering them on. Same thing in the receiver room and the tight end room. I mean, it's just – it's remarkable what they've been able to do. They bring five-star guys in. They continue to develop them. The mentality that they have is fantastic. They're, there's a buy-in from every single player on that team. They can have a Stetson Bennett a quarterback that just – no matter what happens around him, when it's his turn, he goes out there and he shines. Even if you've tried to replace him 73 times, he doesn't care. He's all about Georgia and winning games for the Bulldogs. And you're right, like guys like Starks and Ringo and – and Smith on defense. Nobody talks about those guys. Yeah, And those guys are stars. If they were anywhere else, we'd be talking about them all the time. But that's the way that this team is set up. They're set up for a team and not an individual. That's how you can lose 15 players and not miss a beat. That's how you can not take a single player from the transfer portal and not miss a beat. And so for me, and look, I respect the hell out of Kirby. Uh, I played DB for him. You know this for about three weeks before he figured out I can't backpedal. (laughs) And so like, I've been in that room with him. And even as a young coach, you could tell that that was going to be when it was his turn, the mentality that he was going to demand out of his team.
0: Okay. I'm going to ask you, got to ask about running backs. Um, I'm going to ask you to pick between one of your kids here, or I'm assuming they're one of your kids. Now that Chris Rodriguez is gone, this is a conversation that we can actually have. (laughs) <laughs> I'm assuming he's gone. By the way, I shouldn't say that definitively. Yeah, I'm hold assuming. on now.
2: He's been there since Moby Dick was a minnow.
0: That's true. That's true. I think I think he might. Does he still have one more year of eligibility? He's he's going to be gone after this. Everybody year, has one more year. I know, right? It's it's yeah. Sam Hartman has one more year. There's no like, way. No, he does. It's does great. his beard have another year? Uh, it might. He's got a better great beard than I do. It's yeah, all great time. Great beard. Yeah. Um. Okay, so if I told you just for next year, you've got to pick between Judkins and Rocket which guy would you want to have more stock in?
2: That's a great question. Um, oh, Jenkins, I think, though. I'm sitting here and, like, that kept just flashing because of this reason. He did this as a freshman, and he's only going to learn how to run in college football more and more with each practice, with each, uh, you know, day, with each scrimmage, which with each game. He's – because when you're a freshman – And it doesn't matter if you have the ability or not. You try to hit a home run on every single carry. You just do. Like, you're coming from high school where you could do it. Running backs that star like that as a true freshman, they've got the ability to be able to read the defense at an elite level, and he has that. And so he's only going to get better. He's only going to – and they run zones, they'll run counters, they'll run everything out of different formations, and he already reads that. And so I don't think we've seen the best of him which he was fantastic this year. Don't get me wrong. But like even go back and watch a guy like Leonard Fournette, who's one of the best we've ever seen. Like his freshman year, it took him about three, four, five games to figure it out. Oh, you know what? I'm not trying to hit my head on the goalpost every single carry. And then he became Leonard Fournette. And he's figured that out. Juckins has at a very early age. Man, you talk about scary next year. He might be the best back in the country next year.
0: I know. I was trying to think about it. I was like, man, there's – I don't know how many guys – and you have to wait and see who who declares, who comes back with right. COVID eligibility and all that stuff. <laughs> kind of Yeah, because I have things. no idea anymore. I'm like, is, is Deuce Vaughn have eligibility left? What's B J yeah. uh, I mean, B- I mean
2: Jaden Daniels, home. we talked about him having
0: another year. I mean, it's like everybody, if you're if you're not a 23 or 24-year-old in college bump, sports. Does
2: Bumper Pool have another year?
0: I, he's gone. There's no he's way. Gone. No. Okay. I love yeah.
2: Bumper Pool, by the way. I mean – He's he's been interested in tackling when nobody else in college football cares about that anymore. I love him, but my God, he's been at Arkansas for a decade. I need to stop. I need to get him away from tackling LSU running backs.
0: I <laughs> I I asked him at media days, like, so you were there when McFadden was there, right? And and he confirmed that. So I mean, <laughs> I, mean I believe it.
2: I, I I'm not questioning. Like, yeah. sure, That he block Peyton Hillis in
0: practice? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So uh, last one. Score prediction Saturday. What you got?
2: Uh, I I think it's going to be low scoring. I truly think, I think Georgia wants to go into the game. They want to control the clock. They want to control the ball. They want to keep it away from LSU's offense. Um, if it ended up 24, 13, something like that, uh, I think that that's really realistic. I don't think it's going to be a Georgia 35 to nothing. I don't think it's going to be a Georgia 42 to 31. Like it feels like they want to come in, control the pace, slow the game down, a little bit. So I don't know how many opportunities LSU is going to have on offense. That's just, that's what it feels like to me, this game and the pace of the game is going to be,
0: you don't think, you don't think Georgia wants to run a little tempo. I kind of wonder about that.
2: I don't think so. Because when you look at LSU's offense, they're better in tempo. Yeah. And so if you start running tempo and they have to combat it with tempo, I think that sets LSU's offense when LSU's offense has to slow down. I think that's the worst version of LSU's offense
0: yeah, just kind of don't think, just go. Just
2: yeah, get it. but I mean that, and that and look, that's what they did the whole game against Alabama. They didn't think they just went up there and they went. They only took three shots really down the field in that entire game, but they just chipped yeah. away, chipped away, chipped away, and ended up scoring a lot of points. And so Georgia does not want them to have that field to the to the game plan.
0: I just, just want a healthy Jaden Daniels, want a, want a close game. That's all that's yep. all we can ask for at this point.
2: Same here. Look, same here. We're all traveling there. Yep. We want to see a good game. I think LSU is going to show up. Uh, I think it's going to be a game that doesn't touch that 17 and a half. We'll see. <laughs>
0: there we go. I guaranteed it. So we're good. doesn't matter. <laughs> that's true. Esther, appreciate it, man. I'll see you Saturday. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it.
1: How about this one? I call it Bold and Bright. More like, belongs in the trash.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I must have missed that one. Bold and Brash Conference Championship Weekend Edition. I wanted to call it that because I didn't want to make it just strictly SEC Championship. For all I know, people that listen to us, they've got a lot invested in the Pac-12 Championship on Friday night. Who knows? The schedule sets up well. I love the conference championship weekend schedule. I know there's a lot of talk about how necessary. Is it really? Do we already have our best four teams? Maybe. That's fine. I like. I do like more football, and I do like watching good football teams play on neutral sites, which I put in air quotes.
1: Right. but Some of them weekend. are like five miles away, and then some of them are like across the country, especially in the new Big Ten, I'm
0: sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You mean to tell me like getting to see – And usually, I mean, I'm watching Power 5 conferences, but the schedule, everybody's kind of figured it out. Everybody's kind of found their specific lane where it's Pac-12 championship on Friday night, 5 p.m. local time. It's like 8 p.m. Eastern, but it's the Toby's birthday of conference championships. That's how it gets treated. It's incredible, but it still sets up. TV schedule-wise, really well. Then you have the Big 12 Championship at that noon Eastern time kickoff on Saturday. You get the SEC Championship 4 o'clock. Don't forget, 4 o'clock, not 3.30. A little bit different. And then, of course, at night, you get the Big 10 and whatever's left of the ACC. A great North Carolina defense, might I add, but whatever's left of the rest of the ACC, because there's currently nothing left of Clemson. Shane Beamer took its entire soul. I'm sure Mm -hmm. Gene Chizik will do the exact same thing to Clemson, but it's fun. It's a fun weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. Before before we
1: we get started, what is your most likely non-SEC upset pick?
0: (sighs) I think, what did I go on record with? Crap. I said, no, I think, I think, uh, I think, Picked Utah to cover, but USC to win, because mm-hmm. that's USC's favored by three. The last mm. I saw, I think that TCU Kansas State line is two and a half, but I think I might go Kansas State to win a close game outright. Mm-hmm. Um Which, gosh, what a what what a tough watch that would be for Nebraska fans if they had to watch Adrian Martinez win a Power Five conference championship. Just saying. I know nobody on podcast fitting. cares, but.
1: Honestly, no. I think I think those are the two, right? And it's like you know we've we've been big Ute supporters outside of week one, and like that's one that you never want to write them off. You know, it was a, a narrow you know win they had last time, and so
0: yeah, I think those are both going to be really good games. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I should just say UNC because obviously got a dog in that fight, right. um, <laughs> and I was um two on record with two other predictions so far with Georgia covering and that Michigan covering as well, favorite favorite there. But yeah, I can see Kansas State um being the team to kind of push back on TCU because Kansas state has had a really nice year. They've had a really good year. And I think TCU would, would still definitely get in with a close loss and probably still get in, even if they lost by 21 to Kansas state. So. We'll see. Should be a good. Respect to off. you for keeping up with your with your predictions
1: officially. Because me, I would just make up new stuff every day. I'd be like, yeah, I got <laughs> I got Purdue. Actually, I don't know. I'd be like, I'll, there's a clip of me saying everything. That's what I do. Would be like, yeah, see, I told you. That's <laughs> what we call hedging.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh buddy, don't look at my playoff picks because uh, it's it's going to be official on Sunday. It, your boys you're looking at a goose egg. I, I'm I'm going to have a goose egg. Not not a one because I had Ohio State, Bama utah oklahoma and boy was it a bad year to say those teams <laughs> it was real bad mm-hmm. but eh, oh well that's uh that's the business we'll, we'll get something else right um okay we have bold and brash conference championship edition got a Connor, lot of unless good responses I say this, i'm gonna keep laughing about
1: it i was like what is this right here in my camera it is a red bull and a bowl of gumbo so if... wait wait, wait, wait. <laughs> bowl a bowl of, of gum- gumbo and the Red Bull. Yes. I was like, what is in my camera right now? So that's pretty much exactly what you think would be in my camera. Anyway. Did you forget about this bowl of gumbo? Potentially, since it was kind of like a breakfast vibe gumbo,
0: and now I need to take it out. Yeah. Oh, well, no. Yeah. You're past that. You're past that in life. You can't just have bowls of gumbo laying around, loose gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're past that, right? Yes. Facts. Figuring out. I know we're not doing it out today. That's a big no, no. Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the Saturday Night on top podcast, Facebook group. A lot of great responses in here. Let's start with this one from Robbie Buffington. Robbie says TCU gets blown out. USC loses to Utah again. And UGA's worst nightmare happens with Alabama at number four for the playoff rankings. <laughs> so in that scenario, yeah, TCU is still getting in, in my opinion, like TCU would still get in over to Los Bama. I'm just saying mm-hmm. like there's, not really a side by side. Even if you want to do march into victory against power five competition, like advantage. Well, I guess with a blowout, that would change it a little bit. But you know, Bama's played in a million close games. TCU's played in a billion close games. Bama's got two losses. TCU's got one. I, TCU's mm-hmm. probably still getting in in that scenario. Would that be the worst case scenario for Georgia? I know we talked about how, like, if you're that team that just gets a that little sliver of hope like Alabama would in that spot, that, that would be super dangerous because they'd be a mm-hmm. team with nothing to lose. But, like, is that the team that Georgia would fear most or would they fear Ohio State most? I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's the funny thing, right, is you get these two teams looming that are, like, the number one and two, like, recruiting destinations in America other than Georgia. Obviously, Georgia's, like, up there, but they're the only teams with similar talent to Georgia, and they're just looming, like, right there. And it's like, you know if you're a Georgia fan, it's like, shock, shock, chalk all weekend please i would like to play some lincoln riley with not even his own defensive players potentially some tcu some michigan don't want to see any ohio state angry ohio state don't want to see angry nick saban yeah
0: i just when everybody's already written off ryan day and he's like oh you gave (laughs) me a chance yeah right look out now we might allow 500 passing yards this time Let's see what we can do. Yeah, I don't think that would happen. Ohio right. State, look, I backed off that too. Ohio State's had a lot more weaknesses. They've been way more herky-jerky than I thought they were going to be this year. Um, let's go to one from our guy, Emery. Emory says, Gary breaks his season high of name pronunciations in ignorance of modern football. The Georgia-Kentucky game, I counted 22 mistakes. It's wow. up there. It's, you get a pronunciation guide. What, like when you're up there, that's stuff that gets figured out, right? And if you have a question about a guy, you you literally all you have to do is go up to the S like a lot of times announcers will have meetings with sids mm-hmm. to go over name pronunciations just to make sure that what they're reading and what is coming out of their mouth is accurate. And Gary talking about his on balance line mm-hmm. does not care about that. Okay. I don't know if he just he he does not think the letter U exists. He forbids it in his vocabulary. I don't know. It's not just a Midwest thing because you don't hear me t- talking about an, an on-balance line. No, no.
1: Well, so so Gary is at that level. I I was like freaking out because I've never thought about like the amount of tools Gary has to pronounce things correctly and how he just chooses not to. Because you're right, you get handed all that stuff. You meet with even like the coaches, the SIDs, all these different people, and it kind of reminds me of like I don't know if your mom does this, but my mom does this. It's like once my mom learns the name of a restaurant wrong, it's just that's what it is, and it's like oh yeah, like Aldi's. Oh yeah, like you know what I'm saying? Like it puts an an S S on the end of anything. We're going to Chick Fil A's. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's Gary. Every time he sees a name, he doesn't understand. He's like I. It once that's that guy
0: i was at one of the organizations i was part of like a couple of years ago they had this uh this like thank you dinner for the volunteers at kobe and they kept like multiple people kept saying kobe's and i'm like it's not kobe's it's just one it's kobe all right kobe. that's hilarious yeah he's choosing to just not that's really funny actually <laughs> what, are, what are we doing here yeah but that that's something that always it kind of gets under my skin when i i have I've had to stop listening to a lot of people on public airwaves because I get really frustrated when I hear just really butchered name pronunciations. When I hear somebody say Devonta Smith, I want to punch a hole through a wall. I'm like, you know you know what's great
1: about my Twitter coming back, too, is I had – when I worked at SDS, I have this tweet of, like, someone pronouncing Tua's name. Like, I think he pronounced it oh during the spring game. And, like, dude, once every couple of weeks, somebody will just quote tweet that, just dragging someone. It's the funniest thing. Like, You're on air. How do you not know it's Tungo Viloa And it's, like, my favorite thing that happens in my Twitter because it's so random and, like, it's from 2017. <laughs> yeah,
0: people just, like, insert vowels, like, tag Leovola or something <laughs> Like, what, are we, what are we doing here all right let's see two right. seconds let's figure this out but yeah that's all right that's nobody nobody cares about that i realize but that's just it just always gets under my skin because you can mm-hmm. look it up and there's if there's not a proper pronunciation all right you know you get a couple of chances to be able to figure it out and a lot of people don't gary's one of those people that's like once it's in his head it's never getting out and he's just going to call you what he's going to call you
1: i'm sorry i have one more thing on that there used to be this spreadsheet for nba players because they have a lot of like european guys and it was youtube clips with time marks of guys pronouncing their own names and it was one of the most helpful things I've ever shared, it would be like vucevic in like a post game press conference you'd be like oh nikola vucevic and that was the only clip and you would just click on these things and it'd be them saying their own names useful we need we need more of that i don't know whoever set that up up but that guy's an angel
0: yeah no we, we need a lot of that because especially with more people with access to this stuff than ever before there mm-hmm. there there is definitely a need to, and I, i've got names wrong here i'm not like trying to feel yeah. like i'm i'm absolutely perfect here but i at least will make the time to like look it up like the first time i ever said will levis's name when he was at penn state or something like that i'm like levis it's like, no I, I need to get that one right I need to be mm-hmm. able to get that one right all right andrew DiGiacomo says i better get his name right right <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yeah. Actually,
0: yeah butcher that one right after I go on that rant. Uh Andrew says Purdue gives Michigan a scare, and Michigan needs a last minute drive to win. Yeah. Um, look, Purdue against these top three teams. Man, they're terrifying. They're so scary. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. Jeff Brom just gets deep into his bag. You know that he's going to have this arsenal that's out of control. If you're if you're one of these people who wants to like, I think LSU is going to be in a empty the bag situation. Mm -hmm. The amount of tricks that Jeff Brom will pull out of his bag on Saturday night against Michigan, Mm -hmm. it's going to be it's going to be insane. He will dial up anything. All right, this is the dude that I had had a quarterback playing on a torn ACL in a bowl game and was like, Hey, if you can get out there, you know, let's play football. That's the Jeff Brom adage from the XFL. He's uh, he's going to do whatever he possibly can within the confines, eh, somewhat of the confines of medical and football rules to make it happen. It's going to be, it should be a relatively fun game. I hope that is fun on Saturday mm-hmm. night. And not just because, like I said, I'm very biased pro Aiden O'Connell shout out to my mom. Are you pushing P I'm, I'm not pushing P because because Michigan is still on record with lock of the week. My father-in-law will be texting me throughout that game. P looks great right now. Which, mm-hmm. out of context, you're saying to yourself, this is a <laughs> <Right>. random, <laughs> this, this is a weird text to get from your father-in-law. But I now no longer have that hesitancy. Where it gets a little bit tricky is when I have to figure it out. Um, you know that episode of The Office when um, Michael just comes in and he's talking about movie, he's talking about like million dollar baby. And mm-hmm. Pam is left to sit there and decipher what movie Michael is talking about. Yeah. Makushla, Makushla. That that's kind of how it was with my father-in-law for a little bit. And then I just thought, all right, I'm not just gonna get frustrated. I can figure out who O is or who N is. I, I'm smart enough to know at this moment what team he's talking about. P is a little Perduda.
1: crossword, a little wordle you get to do every day. Yeah, yes. we talked about this a little bit, but it's like – you just I could just imagine Jim Harbaugh calling the selection committee and being like, hey – this TCU team, you know, people aren't respecting the Big 12 enough because that number two next to your name when you're playing Purdue is like the red A. This is from the Scarlet Letter. It's yes. like not number two against Purdue.
0: Just put, put Michigan at four. I mean, right. just, just for one game. Move them back up to two. Who cares? Beating Purdue would be a sign of strength. That'd be a quality win. Bump them up two spots within the top four. Hey, I'm all for mm-hmm. it. Uh, let's go to this one from – oh, Dave Cozart's got a Maxion prediction. How about that? He says the Ohio Bobcats win the Mac without Curtis Rourke and the top four teams in college football playoff all win, including TCU on a last second field goal. I don't know if I'm a TCU fan that I can stomach another fire drill field goal. But as a non-TCU fan, I can say definitively that I am addicted to fire drill field goals and they are incredible. What a rush i need more of that if if that's the way that the football gods dial it up for the big 12 championship which was awesome last year sign me up i am all for that 100 make that happen
1: they might just be the best team in history for fire drill field goals because they're one for one so hey you know they
0: practice it all the time they <laughs> probably ready, have man. other things they got other things they need to work on probably but they ever get in that situation hey it's probably save their path to a playoff smart Signing Sunday Another Sunday's special doing? teams coach. Call Scott Woodward. We got you. Come on now. Yes. yes. Make it happen. Uh, by the way, Ohio winning the MAC title without Curtis Rourke. I don't have a lot of takes on that. I do know that the Ohio Bobcats are electric, and mm-hmm. it's it's throw throw throw. Can't defend anything. They throw it a billion times a game. That that should be a fun one as well. MAC championship always electric. They still play that in Detroit. Maybe. I think you think I'm the person that knows. That I don't know. That's that That would have been a, that would have been a Marler question because Marler's probably gambled on it every year for the last 15 years or something yeah. like that. Yeah. I think they still, we'll, we'll just assume they still play I'm, that one. I'm field.
1: waiting on the Michael dark comment. He's like, Mr. Detroit say like, I grew up going to the Mac championship. Yeah. Anyway. Right.
0: Uh, Zach Woodhurst says Georgia wakes up, Stetson shows his early season form, and Jaden Daniels is harassed all game. Revenge for 2019 dogs 48, LSU nine. I think nine is the bold and brash prediction.
1: Right, Kelly going for two, hurting Jaden again, and missing it. Him
0: going for two, missing it, and then kicking a field goal to get to nine.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Touchdown comes first. Yeah, touchdown comes first.
0: And then the field goal later. Uh, Look, I don't know that Stetson was... What's a nice way to say this? I don't know that the variance is that drastic of who he is in these games where they have slow offensive starts. Mm -hmm. I still think he's relatively similar. It's not like all of a sudden he starts falling into really bad habits. Like I think the variance with Jaden Daniels is a whole lot greater than it is with Stetson. Like mm-hmm. when they, when they're good versus when they're bad. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, okay, this is gonna sound backhanded, but it's honestly true. Part of the beauty of Georgia is that they don't need Stetson to be any kind of great to be good. Yeah, and so it's like he could come out and play really mid, and that offense is not reliant on him to be great. So it's like when you know when Florida had Kyle Trask or when LSU had Joe Burrow, if those guys had a bad game, it was like, oh, we're in trouble. If Stetson's a bad game it's like, all right, we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah, and and I guess his bad still is more when he starts turning the football over. Like when it's when sets turnovers, is, yeah. And like what we saw in last year's SEC Championship when he starts forcing some of those throws that just aren't there and he was mostly good in the SEC Championship, so I guess that's why mm-hmm. I say his variance really isn't that extreme, but he did look darn good in that Oregon game. It was like yep. he is zen, he is so poised, he is so calm. And I think you'll still get that. I don't think you will get some sort of schizophrenic sets in, but I do. I just think the variance isn't necessarily that great, even if it feels like it at times. Okay, let's go to. Okay, gotta have this one. Uh, Tanner Stars says U N C beats Clemson. Um, Clemson's a seven and a half point favorite. Dabo triples down on his promote from within strategy and still neglects the the transfer portal while D J Uyunglele. He didn't spell it out. I just said it. Talk about mm-hmm. pronunciations on this podcast. We nail it. That's go. what we do. Uh, he heads west to a new school in Ohio without its stud QB, upsets Toledo for the Max supremacy. A lot of Maxion predictions in here. Love it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very good, Mac podcast. What's up? Okay. So, do you think that if if this plays out with, look, even if Dabo wins these next two games, they win the ACC championship, he has to change, right? Has to he doesn't have to do anything
1: that's the thing people were saying that about bayhive in like 1999 <laughs> he, he got mellow
0: they won a title after that so he's good
1: No, oh, yeah i know but like you just like, oh, so? like i don't know it's like they're still you know kind of making the final four doing that nonsense like yeah
0: yeah I, look if dabble doesn't change after this one that's when you start to lose public favor and you don't you don't want to start to lose public favor at a place where they're talking about statues for you all yes, right, well, that
1: you lose Clemson favor because he has lost public favor long ago. But the only good people point. who should be on his side could turn against him for that element. Yes,
0: good point. Drew Page says Will Ogburn gets called from the stands at the last second to come in at linebacker for LSU and stop Georgia at the goal line. The LSU Fighting Wills thirty-four, Georgia thirty. Have you played linebacker at any level of football? You didn't do that no. at Hoover High, did you? I was
1: always chunky. I was always on the line. Don't have the instincts for linebacker.
0: Okay, so if you were going to bet on yourself one play in a football game, you get to line up anywhere you want, that includes special teams, mm-hmm. to successfully do a job. It can be Gunner on special teams, uh, on return teams, something like that. Mm-hmm. Where do you think you would have most success?
1: Oh, man. So, I feel like, personally, I feel like for one play, I could be a fullback. I feel like just Cajun Rage. I just, like, kind of do, like, the helmet hit thing, just scream, like, Coach O, and just, all i need to do is fill the lane. So, I think that would be perfect for me.
0: Would you want to get the football? No, I'd want to just hit (laughs) (laughs) somebody. No,
1: (laughs) because that's getting hit. I want to do the hitting. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, I played fullback my one year of high school football, and it's fine. The the only bad thing is... When you have these defensive tackles who, if you're the lead blocker, they just face mask you and they're just, mm-hmm. they just don't care. And they're like, you're not getting to the second level here. Take that. This was also <laughs> pre-concussions 2004. We didn't have the same sort of, you know, tolerancy back then that we do now for it. But yeah, it's a mm-hmm. little bit different. Pullback is a good one. I like that for you. Let's end with this one from Michael Dark. You brought him up before. South Carolina cashes in their money in the bank. Uh, wait, how does he want to say this? South Carolina cashes in their money in the bank contract.
1: That's a wrestling term. Money in the bank. It's like cashes in their money in the bank contract.
0: Oh, okay, okay. This we we need hyphens, right? Yes. That's hyphens, dashes, whatever. Make yeah. Okay. South Carolina cashes in their money in the bank contract and wins the Big Ten championship, continuing their dominance over top 10 opponents. That's bold because would here's a question. Michigan, South Carolina, neutral field tomorrow. Well, how good South Carolina's feeling. And let's just say Marcus Satterfield, who is off to Nebraska, a very interesting mutual parting of ways that appeared to be best for all parties. Let's just say he gets to dial up the headset one more time and call a game. Michigan beat South Carolina?
1: I think Michigan does, but I love where your head's at because I literally almost made this exact same point earlier about TCU. Because if they played TCU right now, I think they might beat TCU.
0: (laughs) How many teams could beat South Carolina right just now?
1: Throw in Columbia
0: if you're like a top five.
1: It's like, look, if you're, you know, if you are like one of the top three, like if you're Michigan, you got to go into Columbia. We'll see how that goes.
0: See how much you like Sandstorm, Michigan. All right. Be hearing that in your head for the next three months. Okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. that'd be fun to see. South Carolina is hot. Who knows? For all for all we know, they're going to go into Indy and they're going to do just that on Saturday night. Okay, lad of the week. Mind if I start? Yeah, go for it. You're my lad of the week. You are. Yes, me. So yes, you, Will Ogburn. People always ask for your last name because I don't say it in the intro. Should I say? Do you want me to say your last name, or is that you don't want? I don't
1: care. Yeah, you know y'all can find me. Just check the podcast group if y'all ever need my last name. Yeah,
0: Or the burner account that you have on Twitter or the non-burner account. Both right. are fair game. Yeah. Yes. Um, You are lad of the week because a little peel behind the onion here. We recorded what was a two-hour recap pod on Sunday. And all of a sudden with like 30 seconds left, my Zoom started kind of freaking out. And I started getting like a weird message. And when I went to save the file, for those who have done this on Zoom, when you're saving a recorded file you have to be able to like actually have that option to save your file and let it upload. And for whatever reason, my computer just started to freak out. One of these things that if you've had a computer for like eight years, like I have, and you're just like, Mm -hmm. all right, we're just going to assume that everything's going to be good. Sometimes random random things like that happen. And will, I was kind of freaking out and you not only talked to me off the ledge, but you troubleshot, which not my strong suit, Jimbo Fisher and I, That's not what we do. All right. We got other skill sets. We do. But you helped me get the file back, which I thought I had lost. And that would have been devastating. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I owe you one because that situation could have been way, way worse.
1: I appreciate you, man. That's really nice. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, my background, I've always done a little bit of everything. And so I, I love that's why I think we're such a great pairing because I'm that person that's not really a preparer. I you are the Peyton Manning. I am the Eli Manning of this relationship. That's love the best it. way I can describe it. It's like you got the big document, you got the stuff. I got like the oh internet's out. All right, got it. Let's figure it out. I don't need plays. Yep. <laughs> plays are plays are irrelevant to me. Oh but yeah, appreciate you, man.
0: Yeah. All right. Who you got?
1: So, uh, these are two guys we've picked before, man, and I'm so sorry, but I think they both deserve it, um, especially because you just never know when these opportunities come. It's gonna be a duel lad of the week for shane beamer and cadillac williams i know i love talked about some shane and them. cadillac man yes you do. <laughs> i know i know but it's you know what i'm saying you just might that's why i always say if you're a fan of these teams and i you know me i made it really like i i had lots of fun in 2019 and it lasted me three whole years and now we're back here but if you're a south carolina fan you know you've had moments you've had these 11 or two teams you've had where well, you've been the hunted which is the hardest thing to be and spurrier put them there but that was 10 years ago you know what i'm saying a lot has happened since then a lot of interim coaches a lot of will must-champ things. Uh, and so when you get to this point and you get to celebrate two in a row of these games that nobody gave you a shot in, no prognosticators, not us, not anybody, I think that's so, so, so impactful. And we talked about it last week, but it's just, it's so awesome. And then again, you know, Cadillac like Williams, we talked a little bit about him in the top, but I'm just super fired up for him and where he can go in life. And I think that to your point, uh, it seems like he's a really big leader of men. Talked about 12 people um converted to Christianity this year under the Auburn football program, which again, not... I'm going to stop talking religion after this I promise but super cool that he is not just a football coach but a dude who is really seems like his heart is in the right place so you know the SEC is college football in general can be seen as kind of a money grab and people say oh how could you watch that it's just like a minor league feeling they felt it's like no when you see stuff like that when you see stuff like Shane Beamer and Cadillac Williams it's why this is the best sport in the world in my opinion because you know most of those guys are going to leave Auburn aren't going to be NFL players or you know but they're going to be adults they're going to be people they're going to be figuring it out and that's you know that's that's when it, when a guy puts in there to do more than just coach i think it's
0: awesome Shane beamer is definitely going to make a significant amount more money and he's going to have on his resume three-time lad of the week yes i think i think is is he a three-time winner he's at least two. yes
1: because yeah because we got him after a&m we got him after tennessee, tennessee and then now so yeah like i said it's it's and it's like when people say something's overdone it's like bro When's the next time South Carolina is going to beat what two top 10 teams back to back comes with. Yeah. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know
1: what I'm saying? So it's like, I like to just give credit regrets too. And sometimes not get creative, but yeah, is going into championship weekend. Hey, anything could happen, man.
0: Hey, we're giving Shane all the ammo he needs to go back to the negotiating table, and make a little mm-hmm. bit more money. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. One last, last thing, uh, kind of a career achievement that I wanted to share with everyone. I got a Heisman boat. Um, shout out to my guys who, who helped make that happen. I don't know that I'm allowed to say like the, the people behind the scenes who kind of helped me, but basically like little peel behind the onion here. This is kind of how the process worked out. So last year, when I went on that Heisman rants about the voting process and why I thought it had become too bloated, it got the attention of someone with some pull. And this guy got the wheels in motion for me to, to finally kind of make this happen. And and I say, finally, like I'm I'm 32. I, I didn't think that at this this time in my life that I I'd get to do something like this. And I I don't take that lightly. But um this guy really went to bat for me. And he has a he had a, a say with the person who's in charge of Heisman voters in the state of Florida. And about a month ago, this guy told me, Hey, there's an open spot. I reached out on your behalf. All you got to do is send them uh your details, they'll let you know. And I never heard back from them after sending the initial email. So I kind of just thought, all right, they, they pick somebody else. But then, uh, Monday nights, uh, I got the Heisman email and we are in business. So the way this going of work, I can't reveal my ballot until after it's announced, but we will definitely talk about a lot, a lot of Heisman things, um, next week. And will, I know that you're going to be, you're going to be traveling, likely not going to be on the midweek pod. So I'll talk. Myself about a lot of things last week. Um, and we'll kind of run through some of that. And then obviously after the, the ceremony with what we do on the pod after that, I'll kind of reveal my ballot, my thought process, uh, all of that, how it went down with my, my first vote. So that's kind of how we're gonna do this from now on with the Heisman. We'll have some very fluid, fun discussions about it. I, I won't be able to say, like, my ballot is this, but I, I do just I want to have an open dialogue about that. I want to I want to be somebody who's informed. I take such pride in this because I I do truly think it is the greatest fraternity in sports. And I always want to be an informed voter. And I guess this kind of just goes to show you kids complain about something and maybe you'll get your way. There you go. That's
1: (laughs) That's my main strategy. Complain. So, so you have, uh, you have a ballot for this Heisman cycle, or this cycle,
0: this cycle, this cycle. That's fire. Yeah. And to yeah. your
1: point, when you made the, the initial, one, I think it's right on the, on the nose, which is that, you know, you are going to be a guy who, you know, if maybe you haven't watched a ton of Caleb Williams, you're going to go back and watch Caleb Williams. You know what I'm saying? You're going to do the homework. And I think that that's, to me, you know, that that's something that a Heisman voter should be. So I think that's like really exciting. Um, And then my third point is like, do you get invited to the Heisman house? Do you have the pin number? Can I crash? <laughs> Just tell me when Joey has the timeshare. We'll link it up. Just let me know.
0: I, I will. I definitely will. I will let you know of all sort of secret meetings that go on. that will be our little secret on these airwaves. I did definitely text somebody and was like, so are there like secret society meetings for this? Like, how does this go <laughs> down? Because if so, I'm fully on board for that. I want you to know, but I just want right. to make sure that I'm a, I'm on that email chain. All right. We got we to gotta make sure that that happens. So uh, mm-hmm. something that I'm I'm really excited about, really looking forward to being able to do that. Looking forward to seeing you. Good to see you this weekend, yeah, man. That's, weekend. Awesome. that's coming up,
1: dude. I'm fired
0: up. Yeah, uh, I got Perry's don't a tailgate throws an awesome party he does he's always ready to roll mm-hmm. gonna have a great time at the game looking forward to I'm sure seeing some of you as well uh, in Atlanta this weekend it's gonna be an awesome awesome time we'll do a live pod on Sunday that's gonna be after the playoff rankings we'll do that we'll talk some SEC championship stuff we'll talk some playoff matchups all of those things as well looking forward to it. it's gonna be an awesome awesome weekend if you haven't leave us a five-star review subscribe to this podcast join the Facebook group here named red right on it with figuring out the local and brash. Thanks guys. Talk soon.